0: Liberty Lockdown, please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go. The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe.
1: Today I had on one of the founders of ExitGroup.us, and it is a tremendous conversation. They basically are a network of intelligent entrepreneurs with kind of um, localized skill sets that allow themselves to assist each other in their entrepreneurial path. I thought it was a really valuable conversation. Uh, It's also for people that are working jobs, that are trying to do a side hustle. It's a very... It's just a great network to be a part of. It's not very expensive. And I thought that even if you don't end up signing up, uh, just knowing that this is an option for people will be very valuable uh, because I get DMs constantly from people asking me, how do I pursue my passion? Because I have an idea or maybe I don't have an idea, but I do have a passion and I'm trying to figure out how to make that into a business proposition. Uh, It's a really valuable group of people that have helped uh, entrepreneurial spirit flourish, and I think that that's what we need, because if you want to be free, financial freedom is a part of it, and employment freedom is a part of that. So you're going to enjoy this episode a lot. Uh, later on, I will also be, if you're listening to the audio version, you'll be able to hear the Mises caucus debate, or excuse me, Libertarian Party chair debate. Uh, It's a great conversation that you will not want to miss. But because I know not all of my listeners are interested in uh, inter-party politics, I am not going to uh, force it upon you. So I will make that second. So you can skip it if you're not interested. Totally understand. No hard feelings. Uh, Tonight's episode is brought to you by PrivacyPost.io. They are a privacy by default virtual mail and business center designed for the location independent expat and international entrepreneur seeking financial freedom. Their services include virtual mail, a professional business address, privacy trust services, company formation, Portugal D7 residency, and virtual domicile in the privacy respecting and income tax free state of South Dakota. PrivacyPost.io protects you from third parties, overreaching government agencies, and complicit cloud platforms invading your private, personal, and business information. Privacy is freedom of association, expression, commerce, and mobility. And PrivacyPost.io is your partner in freedom. Go to PrivacyPost.io for more information. If you are in a position of being an expat or considering it, or if you're just a privacy-oriented person, I think it is worth checking them out. Again, go to privacypost.io for more information. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to Liberty Lockdown. I This is Clint Russell, obviously, and I have on Bennett of exitgroup.us. I have talked a lot about financial independence, and this organization is doing a lot of great work to basically give financial independence paired with employment independence paired with opportunity independence. So thank you so much for coming on, Bennett.
2: Great to be here. Thanks. Uh,
1: if you could just tell the people a little bit about what your organization does, I think this is, I've had countless DMs over the past year since the uh, the mandates got rolled out uh, on how to become more independent and how to be able to put yourself in a position to be able to speak out, which sounds like that's your, your, your stated mission here, uh, which I really appreciate because I need a hell of a lot more people doing what I'm doing. So uh, go ahead and give me a little rundown on it.
2: Yeah, so basically the, the, the problem statement is that there are a lot of people that have things to lose that are afraid to speak out, and the, the political conversation cannot be dominated by people who do not have things to lose, who do not who are not invested in their communities, in their families, in society. And so uh, what we do at Exit Group is it's a, it's a community of experts that can help you to Find a path through entrepreneurship, or trade jobs, or e-commerce, or homesteading, or homeschooling—anything that makes you harder to intimidate, harder for uh, harder for people who who despise you and the things that you believe in to get their hooks into you and 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 and, and cause a problem. That can be getting fired. I mean, it can also just be if you've got to send your kid to a school where they're teaching them to be alienated from you and despise everything you believe in, that makes, that makes your job a lot harder and that can make it difficult for you to have those conversations, you know, with your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, it's essentially about building in, in the long run, the big picture, it's about building parallel institutions, but I think it starts with how do we create a core of guys who are not afraid to speak their minds because they can't be, they can't be threatened with, right. Your kids are going to lose their health insurance. You're going to lose your mortgage. That kind of thing.
1: Yeah, and and the idea is to just have a, a group of people that that essentially teach skills that make them more independent, or is it just a a network of job opportunities? Like, give me a little bit more on yeah. it. Yeah.
2: Well, so if, if you're familiar with the concept of, like, a startup incubator where you've got, you've yeah, got yeah, peers yeah. and mentors that are kind of helping you workshop your idea, helping you identify marketing channels, helping you build the thing, I would say that it's like that, but it's for any problem related to this question. So, you know, it can be. Uh, so I, I, we had one guy who has, has a, he started an online marketing company, and he was having a really hard time with, like, the top of his funnel. And so we got a bunch of sales guys into the call to be like, "Have you tried this, this, and this?" And then, you know, he he doubled his client. He's on track to double his revenue for this year. He didn't have to go crawling back to a W two job. He was able to do that because oh, of this, this group. Yeah. So like, he already had the the startup. He just had this problem that he needed solved. Um, we had another guy who was being fired over a Vax mandate, and we sort of gave him the encouragement and the walkthrough and the and the and the the business side support to give him the confidence to start his own web development company. Right. So like, you know, it, it, it's, and, and now he's making like 130% of what he was making before. So Beautiful. like, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's both a community oriented toward a vision, but it's also this really practical, like nuts and bolts, like let's get out, let's, let's build something together.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, it's a freedom in- incubator. Uh, I, yeah. I love it, you man. You can call but it that. <laughs> this is this is exactly what I've been talking about. It. I mean, I I did it myself. I I went from uh, running a mortgage company to you know screaming into a microphone, and and this became my full time job. So it's uh, I was already financially free though. So I had I had a leg up in the sense that I had I had stockpiled enough assets and and had passive income and all sorts of things. Plus, I was an entrepreneur and I worked for myself anyway. So I was kind of uncancelable from Jump Street. But I. Uh, I became more uncancelable because now my my employment is, you know, mobile. I can do it anywhere right. and and it's I mean, but I, I am still, you know, can, cancelable in the sense that Apple Podcasts or Spotify as we've seen with the uh, Joe Rogan experience, they can they can come down on you and eliminate, you know, some giant portion of your audience in an instant. Right. Uh, I guess obviously that's that's a longer term problem that we'll all have to deal with and I think that we're seeing kind of the front lines of it with uh, Joe Rogan and Spotify kind of standing up for him. And I hope that we see more of that as people realize there's just so much market demand for, for truth telling. And yeah. whether, whether or not you're, you're, you're actually correct is kind of irrelevant. It's like, are you trying to be honest? Yeah. And, and a lot of people have gotten away from even the attempt, you know, it's like they're, they are, just trying to stick within the overton window of, of allowable opinion and that is not how you progress a society a conversation a civilization you know it's it's all so regressive and and it's you know the front lines of it are the progressives so this is a very very uh dangerous and scary time to be to yeah. be honest
2: absolutely and that circle of allowable opinion is shrinking by the day and and <laughs> no kidding. and the the institutions that that like decide, you know, who's allowed to say what it, it is so hard to stay in their good graces and they, and they themselves are so creatively bankrupt. I mean, you look at what's happening with Netflix, you look at every movie that's come out in the last like four years, it's like, nobody's watching them. Nobody cares. There's no. And so I, I, I've actually noticed this phenomenon. Like, I don't know if you saw uh, Cobra Kai. Oh, yeah. um, so like the first season, they're really flirting with like some really interesting ideas
1: mm-hmm.
2: and like some, some cool concepts. And they always have to dial it back to like, oh no, no, the hippie karate thing is the way to go. And like, I'm, that's a little bit of a tangent, but like, you'll see that phenomenon as, as the more that you look for it, like they're, they're trying to like flirt with this, these ideas just enough to get a little bit of creative juice, just enough to make a little bit of money and then drag it back. Right. And it's, it's a sign of where all the energy is, where all of the, the vitality in the culture is.
1: Yeah, no, it is sad. I mean, everything's, everything's a reboot, a remake, a sequel, a prequel. It's it's, and it's because they know that's safe, you know. It, and it's yeah. not just safe business-wise in the sense that like you know you have a a built-in audience that is going to be interested in the remake, but it's also just being safe because they know that those those lines of topic, the discussion, storytelling, have been they're tried and true, and right. and it's it's you know. It's, you're not going to get canceled most likely as long as you <laughs> cast as long as you can cast a, a a really diverse you know all female cast of the reboot <laughs> but, but but the problem the problem is is that you know the audience for the most part is sick of it you know and i yeah. i know that there's still half this country maybe half the world that is is fine being spoon-fed whatever they want this is kind of the the blue pilled red pilled dichotomy or, or fissure or split within civilization that we've witnessed where you have, you have a lot of people that just, they're comfortable not waking up, man. Uh, like I, I never thought that I'd, I'd feel as a, speaking of a shit reboot, the, uh, the matrix uh, yeah. reboot was, was absolutely horrific, but, but that's, <laughs> that story, the original story is so profound in hindsight because you just, you really realize that there are so many people that are, are disinterested in being woken up you know like they would it's more comfortable it's and i and i understand it in a way because as someone who has taken maybe one too many red pills it is uh it's a lonely experience but uh, the the cool thing is that is that if you do it for a long enough time and you if you do it vocally you discover a community of people that that are that are with you once again so you go from being alone Back to being in a community again, and and I just I think that your your organization gives people the opportunity to to make that interim gap where you feel totally isolated and alone uh, much shorter.
2: Yeah, that's a huge piece of it. Is we we had one guy who who was uh, afraid of being doxed, and we we got so the way that we handle it is we do a hot seat. If somebody's having a real significant problem that would benefit from like the whole group brain trust. Yeah, we take. 45 minutes to an hour uh, on that weekly call. And we dig into their problem and what's going on with them. This I guy was it. afraid of being doxed, And, uh, <laughs> I was, was doxxed this... last month. <laughs> so... Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was in this very high visibility position where it would have been a real problem if he'd been doxxed, yeah. uh, for his family. Like, you know, probably would have made the news probably would have been a big deal. Yeah. And, um, he was in this social world professionally in terms of his education in terms of everything where he couldn't be himself with anybody and if he told anybody about this problem that he was facing this stress and this fear that he was having um i mean they would have reported him like that mm-hmm. and um and so to get into a room with 20 or 30 guys all of whom are saying like let me get you a referral you can talk to this guy Here's, you know, like the creativity, the level of, of insight that these guys provide to these problems is just unreal.
1: Uh, I would imagine. um, Yeah.
2: Yeah. Because, because they're all, they're all, it, it, you don't have to be like a weird, like fringe guy to be really frustrated with this situation. These are, these are successful, professional, smart guys and they're in all kinds of fields. We you know, we we have guys that do reputation management, we have guys that are in law enforcement, we have guys that are accountants and and software developers and the whole gamut. And so there's at this point there's 130 guys and at this point there's not a lot of questions that come up in the group where we don't have at least one person who's got a line on the answer. Yep. Um so yeah, in terms of just like
1: it's division of uh, of advisory label or uh, division of advisory labor, you know, like you, ah. you, you're going to have someone that can answer the question.
2: Right, right. It, it, yeah, you, you, it's. I feel like a lot of these a lot of these groups sometimes get get focused on like one person or one vision or like one thing that that they're trying to execute. And what yeah. I like about this is it's a bunch of guys doing a bunch of things and and there's this alchemy between them of they have so much to learn from each other and but they're at the same time they're all oriented around the big picture goal which is freedom
1: mm-hmm. beautiful well that's uh, I, my my longest running sponsor has been the daily job hunt which is uh crash.co forward slash daily for the listeners out there which is a a email newsletter that that you get sent every morning that gives you Better tips on how to become a better job applicant, essentially, mm. uh, but it also it, it goes into, you know, seeking freedom and how to, uh, you know, build the proper resume, how to do video applications. So like this is another layer of what you guys are about. You know, he's he's trying to help people um, get out of job positions that are kind of suffocating them yeah. and and to find a, you know, either their passion or just a, a more freedom oriented path a really beautiful thing. Isaac Morehouse is, is the founder and he's been on Tucker Carlson multiple times. He's a great guy, just brilliant. And I think he would be a tremendous uh, addition to your network. If he's not already in it, he might be in it. Oh, I'd um, love
2: to, I'd love to talk to him. Absolutely. And yeah. because, yeah, it's, uh, so I, I told this one guy, cause we're talking about like, like it being this real, like ideological trip. And, and what I said to him was like, if you asked me to explain why I want to get these guys out of these corporate jobs, politics wouldn't come up until like hour three of that conversation. Like it, they're just such soul sucking, miserable situations. <laughs> right. Like, just, like, forget about, forget about getting canceled. Like they just suck. And yep. so there's this huge angle of just like, you should like almost anybody, almost anybody should just be trying to get out. <laughs> you
1: I, know I, mean? I agree. I mean, unless you, unless you just got lucky and stumbled into it, you know, I kind of was in that position. I mean, I was also built to be an entrepreneur from an early age, so it was going to happen kind yeah. kind of regardless. But um, because of my family, you know, I my my dad taught me about passive uh, investing and or passive income earning and things like that, mortgage brokering, and I was very I was very fortunate to have that from a young age because he was running his business and I kind of just watched it and I was like, "Oh, that's a much better way to live than how my stepdad, who's raising me, lives." and and you know, my stepdad was very happy. I'm not trying to say his life was miserable, but you know, working for other people and and uh, and just having to kind of have that corporate nine to five type lifestyle, it's yeah. just not it's just not ideal, you know. Like whether or not you're suffering, you know, maybe you're okay. Maybe I think the biggest problem is that people get comfortable. You know, it's yeah. like you have that you have that steady paycheck, the 401k, you get two weeks vacation and it's like i'm i'm here to tell you like yes it's going to be a different way of living to be your own man to be an entrepreneur uh but i'm telling you it is so much more gratifying it yeah. and and the the liberated feeling of like yeah i'm not going to get two weeks paid vacation but i'm going to earn twice as much three times as much <laughs> as i did in that corporate gig it's like well then who gives a fuck about paid vacation man you know like that that's kind I'll of been pay for it yeah exactly and and hopefully you can get to a point of you know if you want you can have employees and you can you know have uh have vacation time and things like that too so it, it's it everything that you get from a corporate environment you can find it on your own on a much more liberated path and and i think that you'll find your life is so much more fulfilling i, I this is actually one of the biggest things i've been i've been a joe rogan fan since 2010 i mean i was i started listening to a show and uh, episode forty five, I or give or take. And I went back because when I discovered it, I was so blown away at someone, you know, just speaking honestly and openly about whatever topic came to mind, conspiracy theories and all sorts of nonsense, but also beautiful, loving psychedelic trips and and entrepreneurialism <laughs> and all this stuff. and and I just remember coming away from it going like, yeah, man, like god, i it it just made me really reflect on how many of my best friends were living, you know, working these corporate jobs. They they didn't really love them. They just kind of, they put food on the table. They allowed them to qualify for a, a mortgage. And that mortgage is another layer of chains that keeps you bound to this job because you can no longer take the risk to go out and do anything on your own. And it's like, yeah. man, if you can reach people when they're young and and let them know about this stuff, um, all the better. But also if you can reach people when they're in the, the midst of this you know, yeah. anguish and try and give them a path. And it sounds like your organization does that beautifully.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm 35 and I was doing, so I spent, I spent way too long in, in college goofing around trying to figure <laughs> out what I wanted to do because I was in that mindset of like, I, I'm not interested in any of these jobs. Um, right. And I ended Good up getting, a, well, I mean, kind of, I, <laughs> I went I went got an economics degree, got a, got a wage slave job, did that for six years. It wasn't until I actually got fired. Uh, I got doxed. I got doxed by some, some Antifa group. They, they rolled up a bunch of, of uh, me and my friends.
1: <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And
2: um, kind of, I got, I kind of got kicked out of the, of the, uh, you know, golden handcuffs situation. And um, so I can definitely empathize with these guys who are like, you know, being an entrepreneur sounds really cool, but like, I just don't know how to make it work. I don't have the big idea. I don't like, what am I passionate about? What am I? And so like a lot of our conversations are actually figuring that out. Like they know they want out, but they don't have like, Oh, I'm super jazzed about like, you know, novelty soaps or whatever it is. Like I, I had this thing I really want to sell and make. Um, and so a lot of it's exploratory. A lot of it's like, what do you, what do you believe in? What do you care about? What is your network want? Right. Cause that was the answer for me is like, I, I had to look around it cause I had built a pretty good following on Twitter uh, cause I was so desperately bored at work. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I, and I realized, you know, even before I got doxxed, I realized that like everything that I was doing outside of like my family and my home that mattered to me was basically happening online because I, nobody was ever going to give a crap what I did at that job. right, like, right. It was never going to matter to anybody. Um, but every every, you know, month and a half, someone would reach out to me and be like, Hey, this thing you said, it really like sent me in this cool direction. And I made this change in my life. And like, like, so that was like, I was like, okay, there's something here. There's something real here. So when people yeah. talk about like Twitter's not real life, I'm like, kind of like.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, a, I don't know, it's real life on steroids. It's like, it's like <laughs> you get, you get all, all of the love and all of the hate simultaneously as I, I yeah. kind of, walked a similar path i was i was running my business and i and i got on twitter um you know just just before the lockdown started and i started to find this liberty community on online and i was like well holy shit there's more people out there like me like this is so cool um because i you know in my personal life i've converted basically all of my close friends and family to some quasi libertarian type outlook and and that's great Uh, but But I I didn't I wasn't able to find people or communities beyond that. And um, when I when I stumbled into Twitter and I found this entire Liberty Twitter community, I was like, wow, there is a lot of us out here like this is really neat. And now uh, so I start I start Liberty Lockdown after the lockdowns happened because I was like, all right, someone needs to speak out against this really, really forcefully and passionately because I'm not seeing it from the Libertarian Party. I'm not seeing it from a lot of people that I would have expected it from. I only have like Dave Smith, Tom Woods, a handful of others that are really outspoken. And I was really appreciative of them, but I was like, I was one of the entrepreneurs that was basically had their business closed because of the lockdowns. And, and I felt like the world needed to hear from us, you know, like they needed to hear the, the anguish, the, the misery, the fury, the fire, like all of it, like they needed to just feel it. And, and that's, that's what I sought to do. And now I have over 31,000 or I'm about to hit 31,000 uh, followers on Twitter. It's just, it's just wild. Uh, and that was, yeah. you know, 19, 20 months ago, you know, it's like, right. it's unbelievable. So there, I, I think that, uh, that Twitter is real life in in some ways.
2: <laughs> like you can, you can, you can make a difference. You can make moves. You can do things. I and mean, if you're a certain type of person, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not for everybody for certain. No, but like, you have
1: to be a little uh, neurotic.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, what what happened was basically I so I was watching my friends get doxed. And I and several of the other other friends of ours were like, we gotta do something. What can we do? And I remember thinking, like, one of our one of our guys that got doxed was a lawyer. And I was like, I just don't know about any law jobs. I'm sorry. Like I wish that I could like the amount of, like, I, you know, we put in a little bit of money maybe, but the amount of money that we could contribute is not going to, like, move the needle for him and his family. And, like, what are we supposed to do? And what I realized was that I already had several guys that were, like, second and third order connections right. to all sorts of jobs. And so when it when it, when I realized it was going to happen to me, I was like, well, I know I've got, like, a half a dozen guys that I could lean on to, to try to find something for myself. Or I can take this network and I can say let's get together and let's make something permanent. Let's 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 make something that instead of exploiting this ne- network one time, let's make something that can be reused and reused and reused and 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 set a bunch of people free. Get a bunch of people to where they don't have to be afraid. Cuz like I was in this position where I, I just happened to have more like financial runway than I'd ever had in my life before just kind of Mm -hmm. sitting in my lap. And so it felt like there was an element of providence to it. Like, like, you know, this is something that needs to happen right now. And, um, and so, so to, to be able to, to take that. And my goal right now is I want to move the needle for a guy once a month where like, he's in a better job. He's not having to go back to some other job. He's like something where I would feel comfortable being like, Hey, can you, can you tell your story, Mm -hmm. you know, as a, as a testimonial or whatever. And, and so far we're hitting that marker. Like it's, it's on this regular steady basis. We're moving the needle for these guys. It's really, really cool to watch.
1: I just got (laughs) chills with you describing how, how this played out because that's exactly what my story was. I, uh, there was, I mean, there was an element of providence. Like I, I had saved and invested and I was, I was building six houses in that moment and, and I was like, I have all this financial windfall that's coming my way and, and also like the world screamed out for me, you know, and that's how I felt, you know, whether or not, certainly they weren't screaming out for me individually. They were just screaming out for a voice. Yeah. Like someone, someone who could um, speak to this market need that wasn't being filled. And, and, and I was like, well, this is, this is, this is what I'm here for. Uh, I know that sounds completely narcissistic and crazy but i was just like no i am following what i'm supposed to be doing right now and it seems as if you found the same thing so kudos to you for for hearing it and responding accordingly and you know changing people's lives for the better it's a really beautiful thing you've done
2: thanks a lot yeah it's 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 incredible to go from a job that like you you like you actively feel is making the world worse
1: (laughs) yes right
2: To, to something that, that has meaning. And like, I I grew up feeling very like not hardworking, not ambitious, not motivated. Mm -hmm. And so, and and, well, and, and I realized that there were times in my life where I was dedicated to something I really believed in. So I went on a two year mission and that was a time when I was, you know, working 14, 16 hour days with no problem. And then I would go back and go to class or go to, go to work and be like, why is it so hard? Um, and I just realized that I'm the type of guy that I've got to believe in it. I, I, I have to, it's gotta be in my bones or else I'm not going to be able to. And so, and so what's cool about that is there's a lot of guys who are in this position where they like, they're clearly talented. They're clearly bright, but because they're not like Lambros, they're like, not trying to like, they're not not trying to go to Dubai. They're not trying to get the private jet. (laughs) Right, right, right. And like, they know entrepreneurship is a ton of work. So they're like. Do I want to put in the work for this thing? Like, what, what's the what's the payoff for me? Why do I care about this? And uh, just recently, we had a guy who he's got this Jungian archetype thing. He loves he loves Jung, and um, he's always probably a Jordan
1: Peterson and- fan. Huh? He's probably a Jordan Peterson fan.
2: Oh yeah, huge, huge. Yeah, but he's yeah. got his own like he's got his own system that he's developed. He's a very very bright guy. And he's always struggled with the ambition component of it because he's like, I don't really know if I want all this money. And so part of his hot seat call was like, let's talk about why you are so obsessive about this, what animates you about this, that you can spend 12 hours a day, just digging and digging and digging and thinking about this. And we were able to arrive at like, you know, here's your purpose. Here's why you need to be doing this. And here's why people will pay for it. And now he's running a consulting business and and making money there. And like, you know, so, so I guess a lot, I feel like a lot of these entrepreneurship groups are very much like built around a certain type of dude. Mm -hmm. Um, and God bless them. Like that's awesome for them. But like, there's this whole other type of person that that doesn't resonate with. And I feel like this thing that we've built can reach those guys and help them to get independent.
1: Well, that's, that's amazing. Cause you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, a lot of there's a lot of young young guys out there that they're not they're not really motivated by financial windfall, like you said. Like yeah. they're not trying to get a G five or or whatever. It's like they just, but they do want to have purpose. You know, they want to yeah. feel a sense of fulfillment with whatever they're doing and providing to the world. And and I think I'm I'm more along those lines. Like I, I was certainly motivated by wealth accumulation, but I I didn't want it for some sort of like just ball in lifestyle. I was, just, I was right. more interested in just being financially free so that, that I could pursue things I'm more passionate about and and you uh, know, getting liberty. it out of the way. Yeah, exactly. It was like it was just about financial freedom. It wasn't about financial, you know, I wasn't trying to be Elon Musk or, or trying to have all the money in the world. And and right. the, the ironic part about that is that oftentimes when you are that type of person, uh, you end up with a ton of wealth <laughs> because <laughs> because you end up pursuing something that you're very passionate about. And if you're passionate about something, you will work harder than someone who was just interested in the financial uh, benefits of it. Because like I, I wake up every single day now and I dive into Twitter and I dive into reading and I dive into uh, interviews and I do all of it effortlessly. Like it is yeah. because I'm doing what I'm, what I feel like I'm meant to be doing. And I and I just I wish that for my audience, you know, I, I wish that for anybody that wants it. That if you oh, if you sorry. feel as if you can't sustain yourself while also sustaining your heart and your soul, um, I think you're wrong. You know, I think you have an opportunity to do that. And and if you're that type of person, this is a great organization. So, uh, anyways, could any thoughts there?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's. <sighs> You have to. It has to be about vision, and I think I think part of the whole Elon Musk thing is they really there's there's a very common perception of like when they think entrepreneurship, they think like a startup that's going to go chase VC money, right? So like they're thinking like it's got to be some tech idea, it's got to be. So one of the things that we're working on is a um, how to turn a thousand dollars into a million dollars with a landscaping business. I've got a buddy who who has been very successful landscaping. He knows a lot of people that are successful in landscaping. And like, you know, that's not something that people think of as like this huge, like, there's tons of growth potential there. But like he had a buddy that that took that him and him and two brothers, I think it was, or, or one brother, two brothers, took the took their landscaping business, built it into thing that they built it into something where they were hiring people mm-hmm. in like four years. And then it was just fire and forget passive income, basically. I mean, it was management right. job, but it was not, you know, you, you don't have to think of it as something where you're like Gonna be, you know, having to go on pills for your back pain when you're 40. Like you can, <laughs> right. you can, you know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's a future there.
1: Absolutely, and and with with manual labor in particular, there is so little um, interest from the younger demographic in doing any sort of manual labor. So if you're like, if you want to start a, a plumbing franchise, an electrician franchise, uh, not necessarily franchise, but but uh, a business where you have employees or you can create yeah. a franchise model either way. I mean, these are types of, uh, you know, trade jobs. I think a huge opportunity is in the trucking field. Like if you yes. if you were willing to to do that and not mandate your employees to not have bodily autonomy, you could get thousands of great truckers that would sign on. It would require a lot of capital to, to have trucking fleet, obviously, but I mean, yeah. there is just opportunity abounding because of this, um, Fascistic, you know, collaboration between the government.
2: There was such a. I'm trying to look for a different word other than psyop, but I don't know how else to say it. A psyop. When I was a kid, that like, college was it. College was what you had to do, and uh, if you didn't, you were stupid or low class. We we actually. So I was in a, a ninth grade class where I was told explicitly. We don't do shop class at this school because everybody's going to college. And like, even if that's the case, even if you're going to college, like it's good to know how to do things with your hands, like that's ridiculous. That's such an absurd. And it's because I think I think it's because people who are hyper specialized and are this hyper optimized component of this big system are more dependent on that system.
1: I was just going to say by their very nature, they, they can't be independent.
2: Right. Right. And so, and so the more you become a complete human being, the more you, and that's why I do like, we've got, it's not just about like, do you want to start a business? It's about, do you want to raise animals? Do you want to learn how to fix up your house? We've got like, there's, and there's kind of like a lot of overlap where some of these guys are trying to go like be a general contractor, be an electrician. Some of these guys are wanting to like fix and flip houses. So like, you've got to know a little bit about real estate, you've got to know some DIY, because if you pay somebody to do all that work, then you're going to, they're going to make a profit. Right, exactly. Um, But the more, the more different, and this has been cool for me personally, like, I, I have thought to myself, you know, even, God forbid, for whatever reason, I can't continue to do this. Just by having been part of this group, I personally know you know, a dozen different hustles that I know work. Like I know the, the business model. I know I can walk outside and do it today. Right. And, um, and that makes me so much more free to say what I believe. You know, even after having been doxxed, like people can go find out who I am and go find out all about me. But I'm no longer afraid of like what my Google results say.
1: Right. You know? Yeah. I, I think the sooner, I-, I think if you just, google some things and you realize that they're they're giving you sculpted basically untruths about whatever topic you're looking into you should really stop worrying about what google says about you like at some point because if you are at all freedom oriented or speaking critically about about what's happening in the world yeah, if you're interesting, <laughs> uh, Google is going to turn up some results that say that you're evil incarnate. So just accept it and move on. and And I think that if you can come up with a, a business model or or a lifestyle model that makes it so that you're you're independent and it doesn't really matter, then you can start to live again. You know, you can start to live an uncancelable or or even a canceled lifestyle where you just go like, Yeah, yeah sure, I'm canceled, but. Uh, at least i'm not to the level of alex jones where you know my bank is shutting me down and shit like that so uh, i can still that's the I can dream st- man <laughs> cancelled by your bank <laughs> that'll happen eventually don't worry
2: yeah um but it's it's it a friend of mine i can't remember who a friend of mine said there's a billion chinese people who are all cancelled from the perspective of This system, they have no interaction with our banking system, they have no interaction with our social media, they are totally shut off. And you know what, they're living lives like, like, you know, obviously, there's issues, clearly with China. But what what he's saying is like, this, this bubble that you think of as the whole world is just your world. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's billions of people who are doing just fine without it. And yep. and so you can you can escape it you can get out and 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 build something that's the way you want to live. We we actually have guys who, uh, <laughs> one or two guys who find that um, it is easier to say the things the type of things they are interested in saying in China versus here, and so they they choose to live in China.
1: <laughs> yeah, doesn't doesn't surprise me honestly. I mean, it, this is this is why I have such a hard time with people that are are kind of beating beating the war drums against China. It's like. Like yeah, I mean, China is definitely not good. I mean, there's a lot of yeah. lot of negatives. But I just yeah, feel like no if you if you live in America, you have your own problems. Like do, I I really wouldn't be worrying about China too terribly much when you're dealing with a government that's so tyrannical in your day to day life. Like what yeah. are we even talking about here? Um, and, and We're then sort of meeting me. in the middle. Oh yeah, yeah, I, exactly. Yeah, like they have they have certain freedoms that we don't have, and we have certain freedoms they don't have. And it's like, well, neither of us are free. So how about yeah. we work on getting free in our day to day life, and and I think that that's that's kind of what um, there's been this post libertarian movement within the the libertarian space that that kind of believes that you know like get out of get out of the political system and just work on financial independence and uh, I don't know int- intellectual freedom almost and yeah. and I agree with it. I mean that this is it's been weird because they've been kind of antagonistic towards me, but um you know i i live their lifestyle that they're espousing you know that's what yeah. i do I, I i sought financial freedom and now i speak out aggressively about whatever i want because i'm free and and these are it's a powerful way to live you know and and yeah. it's compelling and it's it's uh it creates kind of a gravity well where people are like they're interested in hearing what you have to say because you get to do things that other people can't like i the fact that i'm even able to speak ad lib with random guests multiple times a week and just top of my head say whatever comes to mind and it's i'm always telling the truth is like that is rare you know like most people can't do that they have to really yeah. like you and you can't ad-lib if you're if you're being cautious like you have to um you have to right. think about what you're going to say before you say it i don't <laughs> like i just say whatever the fuck i want you gotta so. have a
2: mask on you gotta be yeah you gotta be whatever person you're trying to be and yeah it's it's not doesn't flow
1: <laughs> no it and, doesn't and flow. for every
2: for every one guy who actually gets Thrown up against the wall to prove the point about doxing and, and firing, and for every one person that they actually punish, there's
1: ten thousand that 10, get signed ten
2: thousand. Got to be ten thousand. Yeah, that are that are watching that and are shutting their mouths.
1: I know, and that that's the that's the whole reason they do it.
2: Right, right, yeah. and it's and it's not it's not just, um, you know, I was I was talking to a, a friend of mine who's more uh, progressive. And he was saying, like, well, you know, you got in trouble because you were saying things that were unpopular. And 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 what I said was, like, no, if, because, so I I worked with people very closely who were, like, literal revolutionary communists um, at my very square government contractor job. <laughs> like, I wasn't living in Seattle. I wasn't, like, working for, you know, some hippy-dippy company. I was working for, like, a defense contractor Mm -hmm. and and um they were active over under their real name on facebook posting revolutionary communist stuff
1: that's so and
2: and that's way more unpopular in the united states of america than anything i believe
1: yeah um libertarianism is is very popular comparatively
2: (laughs) right and 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 the problem though the problem though is that the way that the way that the anti-discrimination laws and the civil rights laws have been used to create these HR, uh, these institutions within these corporations that then act as basically like you ever see hunt for red October.
1: Oh yeah. Great movie. When there's
2: the political officer whose job is to make sure that everybody's towing the line. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically just what HR is now. They, they just enforce this uh, and, and they do it from a perspective of, we don't want the company to get sued. But ultimately, they're in, they're they're an arm of the state in that yeah. corporation, yep. And um, so so that's that's how that's how state power has infested these private institutions. That's why when people go like, "Oh, it's a private company; they can do what they want," I'm like, "It's not. It's really nope. not."
1: Nope. <laughs> I I had an entire uh, debate with two of my good friends, uh, Ace Harkist and and Drew Hancock about this it was how do how do libertarians address fascism because uh, that's what it is i mean what you're describing is fascism where you have the state's
2: corporatocracy.
1: yeah uh, but the state's power is is now within corporate america in a way that it makes it impossible for quote-unquote private businesses to act in a private fashion where they have independence and free thought and and free direction of their employees and their business model everything else so it's like this is a real problem because libertarians stand on the side of entrepreneurialism and and quote unquote private business, but these aren't private business. So we have to have some uh, methodology to be able to distinguish between them. And it's a huge problem. I mean, we're, we're really, I think a lot of us have been woken up to this issue, um, especially with the, the VAX mandates and, and lockdowns and all these other things. It's like businesses are not free in this fucking country. So like, I don't know what you're, looking at it. if you if you thought they were prior to 2020 i i get it if you think they are today i don't understand what you're paying attention to i mean these yeah. businesses are clearly not free
2: well and and i mean there's also the element of these businesses are not run by humans like well, they're, they're another they're, problem yes yeah like, and i don't mean like reptilians or whatever what, what no, i'm I saying understand. is like there's there's Corporate governance on behalf of shareholders and, you know, lawyers on behalf of the board and, like, the, the chain of custody to, like, a human being making a decision is very, very, very complicated. Yep. And, and mostly becomes, because it's this distributed responsibility with distributed payoffs, essentially, no one in the system has power to do anything other than obey the existing incentive structure. hmm and in most cases, they actually have a fiduciary responsibility not to disobey the existing incentive structure because that would be unprofitable. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, then they have to, you know, answer their shareholders for that. And so it's um, when, when, when a libertarian is imagining a, a, a private enterprise, a private business, what they're imagining is a, is a, is a person or, or group of people who have the right to decide what they want to do with this enterprise that they've built. But, like, to try to to try to apply that logic to, like, the procurement division of the Red Army, which is what, like, Lockheed Martin and Raytheon are, like, <laughs> the, the, the hoops you have to go through and the epicycles that you have to build on top of your model, it's really hard to make it fit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, what was that procurement division of the Red Army? That is, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to steal that one if you don't mind. Uh, <laughs> that's exactly what it is. And, and there's actually another layer to this now that's called ESG. It's environmental social and government or governance, uh, which is being pushed by uh, I think it's Larry Fink, who's the CEO of BlackRock. And, and they are the biggest capital fund on, on earth with over 10 trillion under management. And they are essentially forcing their worldview. I believe it's Marxist, but whatever uh, their worldview onto corporate America. If you want to be invested in AKA, if you want to be funded by the biggest financial backer on earth you have to be doing these evil things <laughs> like yeah. that's that's what it is i'm going to do an entire like hour long solo episode where i explain this to everybody because it's it's a relatively new development it's a relatively misunderstood or completely ignored and not understood or even known about topic and and this is <clears throat> in my view this is why corporate america is now doing things that appear to be counter to their business motives. Like the, it's not even about financial interest in terms of coming in the, the front door in terms of customers and income. It's about coming in the back door in terms of funding you in terms yes. of getting off the ground, in terms of being a viable business on wall street. Like this yes. is a huge phenomenon that people do not understand. And, and it's, Someone needs to break it down. No one has, so I'm going to do it.
2: <laughs> which And, and fundamentally, I, I'm excited to hear that, but, but uh, fundamentally, when people think of Marxism, they're thinking of Stalin and Mao and mm-hmm. Lenin, which they were actually heterodox Marxists mm-hmm. because Marx, his vision of, of how it was going to go. Was that capital would agglomerate and agglomerate and agglomerate into fewer and fewer hands, and that it would that it would the capitalism would develop to the point where essentially you had a de facto planned economy, which is what we're heading toward. Like so, you know, imagine BlackRock buys everything, right, right, and they own everything, and then they are coordinating between Walmart and Target and Kroger and Albertsons, and they are trying to play off the competing interests of all those. And because we have so much more computing capacity now, there's actually a, a case to be made that it may be more efficient than it was under those, under, you know, the, 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 the Stalinist regimes. And so it might be easier to sell to people. Yes. And so uh, that was always the, the, the orthodox vision of Marxism was that it would <laughs> unfold like that. And then the, 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 the proletarian revolution would be to seize that single, you know, once it was all gathered to a point, we just grab that and take hold of that. And then we're in charge of everything. Yep. And, and so, uh, you know, people talk about like, I, I tell people like, you know, we, we clearly lost the cold war and it's like, well, you know, that's how it, basically, it was a war between two different schools of Marxism.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's powerful. No, I think you're exactly right. And, and I think that's, that's what we're witnessing and that's why you have, you know, critical race theory and all these other topics that I find to be completely anathema. Like they're not, they're not principally American at all. No. Um, Where you start to, in the name of progressivism, you start to label people by their skin color, and and there's now oppressors that are from birth. It's like it's everything that Martin Luther King Jr. advocated against, but it's now flipped inverse, and it's like now it's the white people who are supposed to be the slaves essentially, and and I think that that's that's what we're up against. And, and it's not even that because I'm a straight white male that I'm bothered by this. It's because I don't believe that's how the world should function. I believe it's right. fucking evil no matter who you put on the lowest level of the, the at-birth hierarchy. I'm a meritocracy guy. Like, I believe that you should, you should be able to work and rise based off of your own ability and your skin color should have nothing to do with it. And it just it's devastating that they've now convinced a huge percentage of young white people that they are fucking evil. And it's like this is this is a problem. This is not healthy, and this is this is the kind of um, you know divide and conquer tax- tactics that that Marxism, Marxism is known for. And this is why I, I reference it when I talk about BlackRock and what they're doing when they want to have the Green New Deal and implementing these plans on a really on a global scale. Like you're not exaggerating when you say like, well, what if BlackRock owns everything? Like this is kind of the fucking idea. Like that's what they're they're targeting is capital accumulation. Or capital management that's so enormous that they can then dictate um, some really scary policies and right. and I like if we don't if the people don't wake up like I'm a, I'm almost on the the flip side of this where I'm like I'm arguing on behalf of the proletariat I'm like rise up rise up you, the underclass like we need to well understand and you're seeing that
0: I mean
2: you're seeing that happen with this con- convoy thing I mean it's clearly yes.
1: that's a workers
2: class revolt like, it's, a, it's exactly exactly and so and so the 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 sides have flipped in this really i mean it's funny it's funny on both sides but it's 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 crazy to watch
1: it is man i i mean this i never thought that i would be uh like one of the most outspoken advocates for the blue collar class given that i i was a you know white collar ceo type but now because of the position i'm in i'm able to to advocate on their behalf and I'm grateful to have that opportunity because they need people that will defend them because the fucking media won't like no, yeah, they, they'll just label them as, as racists and radicals and all this other bullshit. When the truth is they're people that have been locked in their houses and had their kids masked for two years and their kids are now suicidal and on antidepressants and they're, and they're yeah. depressed and, and they're anxious and the economy's teetering and inflation is rampant and all of this is a product of the government. And it's like, the, yeah. and they're they're trying to let people know this is not how they want to live, and it's not acceptable. And instead of hearing their call, instead of Trudeau meeting with these people who are good, hardworking people that literally worked through a pandemic to continue to keep food on the table, he laughs them off, dismisses them, and then slanders them. I mean, this is yeah.
2: and then runs uh, away.
1: Yeah, and then pretends he pretends he has COVID and goes and hides. It's like. Yeah. Fuck these people, man. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, I get yeah. pissed it's, sometimes.
2: It's uh I mean what what's what's crazy about this to watch is is the media treatment of it. Like there was that whole like uh it's it's non-violent but it's still dangerous and like and it's like whoa. Like it's yeah. the exact opposite of like people getting like their brains splattered all over the pavement uh you know last <laughs> right. summer. And but it's mostly peaceful. And and there was this uh uh, somebody was comparing it to the Arab Spring because, like, I don't know if you know this. Three people in Italy, Australia—I think two people in Australia and one in Italy—have set, and then a guy in DC have set themselves on fire.
1: self I know. In the public, I—I I, and- I retweeted uh, the video from Italy just yesterday, and it got deleted. But um, yeah, I'm—I'm I'm well aware. Well,
2: and and you compare that to like you read the write-ups uh, from the media on these guys. And it's like he did a bizarre rant, and then burned himself like he's just a crazy person, like he's just. Exactly. Nuts. But then you look at the Arab Spring and that guy who lit himself on fire in Tunisia, and he's got like ten thousand words in the Washington Post about how much he loves his grandma and how like all you know all this all like humanizing human interest stuff, and then like uh, a ten year retrospective in Al Jazeera about like his legacy and the beautiful things that he did, and like it's like. Well, I, you know, it's lame to be like how unfair is the media, but like it's worth pointing out. It's worth talking about.
1: No, it. I mean, yeah, people get pissed when you when you talk about the hypocrisy because everyone's like, yeah, I know, I know. Like it's not changing anything. <laughs> it's like, no, it does change things to some extent because, because a lot of the re- reason that you and I and a lot of other people no longer trust the media is because we identified the hypocrisy and we saw yeah. it consistently year after year. So, yeah, sometimes pointing it out to people that are still blue-pilled it means something, you know, like yeah. if they, especially if they knew the guy, you know, if they knew the guy that let let himself on fire and they see the media start to turn and demonize him and make him sound like he was just a lunatic, it's like, well, that's, that's a, a type of thing that, you know, people wake up from the, the reason that self emulation has been a, a tried and true protest strategy for eons is because it wakes people up. It is like, it's powerful as hell because it's, it's letting the world know, there is something so so daunting so, so, so what's that so wrong so wrong in the world that I'm willing to take my life in a very public fashion in a very um, you know spotlighted fashion where the <laughs> the spotlight is the flame itself it's like I, and I'm not I'm certainly not advocating for it I think it's it's uh, you know a man who's obviously um, at his last resort but but I want to listen to that person, you know, like I want to understand them. I want to understand what got them to that point. And and if we can't do that, you know, civilization doesn't stand much chance, man. Like if you if you don't listen to the people that are willing to do something so extreme, uh, then you're you're kind of doomed. <laughs> I
2: mean and that's always like and, and you know you can you can say it like like I'm sure I'm sure that the people who are doing that are probably on some level mentally unstable. Like that's who it's going to hit first. That's the most vulnerable people, the people who are right on yep. the edge of going wild. Yep. You know, that's, that's who it's going to hurt. And so like to say like, it's, it's a cop out to be like, oh, he was just nuts. Like he was not going to do that unless this happened.
1: Yep. And, and why was he nuts? Can we talk about that a little bit? Was it, was right. it because you, you, you closed down his business and, and you locked him down for two years and then you mandated, Uh, forced medical treatment for him to get a job i mean there's reasons behind his crazy behavior you know (laughs) whether or not it was totally crazy or not and and if you see multiple people doing it across the planet you have to start to go and and oh also what's the one tie that binds across the planet oh lockdowns lockdowns happen all across the planet these stupid mandates happen all across the planet like if you're not paying attention to it that's you know that's your mistake
2: and i mean i I think that i think that the problem there is that if you, if you rely on the people who are, if you rely on the people who have nothing to lose, then it's just sort of, you're watching the boulder roll towards you and you're just waiting for it to crush everybody in front of you before you try to do something like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's Mm -hmm. you're you're trying to be the faster than the last deer, not faster than the lion. You know what I mean?
1: Yes. Yes.
2: (laughs) And, and so, and so, Part of what I'm trying to do with this group is build a group of guys who are proactively taking action to separate themselves from these things that make them vulnerable so that we can be involved in the conversation as opposed to leaving it to the people who are at their wits end and have nowhere else to go and nothing else to do. Cause we can be more effective, I think, and we can, we can, we can accomplish a lot of good. And, uh, and, and so it's, it's gotta be something that we do on purpose and not something that we have forced on us.
1: Yep. I, I am your people, man. I, that's exactly what (laughs) I did. I, I got myself in a position of financial freedom. And then I, I saw an opportunity to speak on the behalf of people that couldn't speak for themselves. And, and I didn't really, at the time, like I started the show just wanting to vent, you know, I was doing it for myself, to be honest. Um, but over time I realized that my audience was a bunch of, you know, Thousands of young people that were and, and and older for that for for that matter um, that were not capable of of speaking out and and acting in a way to to stop to slow to fight to do anything to to course correct what was happening and
2: and there's always this there's always this impulse of like you want to like people want to say like oh just be brave just say just just you know if we all band together and we all speak out then they can't fire all of us. Yeah, and it's like, if that's we all delusional. do
1: it. It ends. Yeah,
2: that's delusional. You right. have to create. You have to create the conditions under which a person can do that, and mm-hmm. that's that's what I'm about, man. That's what I want to yep.
1: do. Well, that's that's a great way to recap it and end it. Uh, go ahead and tell people where they can follow and and sign up. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if you double your uh, your <laughs> follower <laughs> base after this, but we'll see.
2: Well, so it's exitgroup.us. You can register there. Um, we have. Uh, Twitter account exit underscore org. Exitgroup.substack.com is our newsletter. Um, the newsletter's is free, uh, and then and then um, pod, exitgroup.podbean.com for the podcast. We interview, so we do interviews that are like this, where it's more abstract and it's more conceptual. I also interview, like I interviewed a lady who farms shrimp, and was like, "How do you do that business? How do you run this? What does it cost? How do you get started?" Um, and we actually have a couple guys in the group who are like. In that planning investment phase of like, maybe we could really do this. So um, cool. it's a fun podcast. I have a lot of fun with it.
1: Love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Bennett. I think, uh, I think people are going to, I mean, this is, this is exactly what I'm not even exaggerating. Hundreds of people have DM me asking for something like this. So if, if Come you on don't over. have a ton signups, I'm going to be, I'm going to be disappointed in these people. <laughs> you better stop DMing me after this you now have your group that can that can help um, and you can contribute to as well. So thank you again. Thanks a lot. I want to thank Bennett of ExitGroup.us for coming on. I think that conversation had value for anybody in any position, even if you're not interested in becoming an entrepreneur. I think that uh, you found some value there. And I think if you get sick of working for the man, quote unquote, this will be a good op- option. That's out there for you. That now instead of going, where do I begin? Well, you now have your answer exitgroup.us. I also want to thank people for leaving five star reviews. We got FSU criminal, criminol. I get it. I see you, Seminole. Uh, says good pod, trust fund, wigger host, and I still like it. You know it must be good. Well, for the record, I do not have a trust fund, uh, but <laughs> it's hilarious. So I appreciate the five star review. And, uh, if anybody else wants to leave five-star reviews on Apple podcasts, I read them off periodically on the podcast. And this is the first time I've done it on video because I wanted people to know that I show support to the people that support me. That's, you know, quid pro quo and whatnot. Uh, So if you leave a five-star review on Apple podcasts, I will read it on air. I usually just do it on the audio version, but we are up to 340 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, which is incredible, and I couldn't be here without you. So tonight, speaking of not being able to be here without you, just to help propel the show, I have libertylockdown.locals.com, where you can become a supporting member of the show. Tonight, there will be an episode from our anonymous military scientist he was on about a month ago, and this time he broke down with charts uh, why the assessment from fauci at all was uh, was wrong from jump street and I think it's a really compelling discussion unfortunately it is too hot for YouTube and it's also uh, kind of a necessary video medium so I'm not going to put it on the podcast but I will have it on libertylockdown.locals.com if you want to go check it out there I'm not going to make it uh, behind a paywall I want everyone to be able to watch it since I'm not able to put the audio version up. Uh, But I think that you will find some value there, too. So next on the audio version, we have the Libertarian chair debate and uh, between Tony and Angela. And I think you guys will really enjoy that if you are interested in inner party politics and the Libertarian Party. If you're not, just skip it. No hard feelings. I love you anyways. Thank you for tuning in as always and continue to leave those five-star reviews and check out libertylockdown.locals.com if you want to become a supporting member of my work. As I've said, all of the money from it goes in towards marketing the show and trying to grow the audience so that we can get this message to more people. That's what I'm about, and I think that you guys are too. As promised, coming up next will be the chair debate for the Libertarian Party. I think one of these two people will be the chair of the Libertarian Party moving forward. Big opportunity, and uh, I felt really... Grateful that they felt that my show would be a good platform for them to have this conversation. I am not a good moderator. That's what I learned. I have way too many opinions to moderate something that I know a lot about. <laughs> so forgive me for talking too much during this. Uh, I really appreciate Angela McArdle and Tony D'Orazio coming on and letting the, letting the people know what their vision is for the Libertarian Party moving forward. As many of you know... Uh, I'm a member of the Mises Caucus in Florida And I'm also a member of the Libertarian Party It's not the focus of my show However, it is something I'm also passionate about If you are interested in learning more I think this will be a good opportunity for you to do so And I learned a lot about these two people I think that they're both good people Uh, Needless to say, Angela has my endorsement I already endorsed her like a year ago When she first started talking about running And she's been to my house I know her personally, I think she's great Uh, But that's not a slight towards Tony at all Uh, I appreciated him coming into enemy territory To have this conversation As I declare my biases early on I am all in for the Mises caucus And Angela is my gal So that's what it is I hope you'll enjoy it And as I've said If you aren't interested in learning more About the Libertarian Party I don't blame you Politics sucks (laughs) So go ahead and skip the second half of this episode If you don't want to learn about the Libertarian Party And the people that will be running it But if you are interested in having a viable third party, this is your opportunity to know kind of what the the game plan is and what we're working towards. Anyways, enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to a special live stream edition of Liberty Lockdown. Today we have on the two top candidates for the chair of the Libertarian Party moving forward, Angela McArdle and Tony D'Orazio. Excuse me. Uh, Welcome aboard, guys.
3: Thanks for having me. Yeah,
4: Thanks, Clint. This is great.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I'm just throw all my cards on the table i am very familiar with angela i've had her at my house i'm a, a big fan of hers so uh, i'm going to do my best not to be biased but i wanted to be upfront about my bias because it's i think that in any debate it would be unfair not to be uh forward about that so uh but i'm gonna approach this with an open mind and i hope the audience will as well uh so we're gonna start with just opening statements five minutes if you guys could tell us a little bit about yourselves and your history and what you envision for the future of the Libertarian Party. And then we can kind of break it down from there. I'll go ahead and let Tony go first since he's in enemy territory.
4: <laughs> enemy territory. I just want to know what you what you served for dinner um, when you had Angela over. That's what I want to know. That's really the just, most important part to me.
1: Just drinks. Just drinks.
4: Just drinks. Hey, that's good too. Um, hi, for those of you who don't know me, I'm uh, Tony D'Arazio. I um, am the former chair of the Libertarian Party of New York and the current first vice chair, uh, also the current comms director for for New York. Uh, I'm running for uh, LNC chair. I want to put libertarian principles in front of the party. I think we've a lot of us have forgotten um, what the platform looks like and that we have a good one, and we need to start um, focusing on that, uh, bringing the party back together. I think we. I think. One thing that most of the party can agree about is that we have a deep divide in the party that is really hurting us on a national level. It's become a distraction, and we need to fix that and fix it now. We need to focus on supporting candidates and winning elections. Um, We are a political party. Yes, we're a little bit of a different political party than the uh, duopoly, the Democrats or Republicans, but we are a political party nonetheless. Our first job is to support candidates and win elections. A lot of that work's done on the state and local level, but the national party can assist with those things. Um, We need to grow the membership. Um, We are the third largest party in the country, but we are the third largest party by a very large margin. Um, One, two, and then somewhere back about 12 miles behind us, we're we're, we're just a lot smaller. Um, We need to get bigger and we get bigger by leaning on our platform, leaning on our messaging, and actually winning some of these elections. Because we're so much smaller, we kind of treat ourselves we've kind of treated ourselves as a grassroots organization. Um, and we're not. We're a political party who has put candidates on balance in all 50 states for a half century. We need to start acting like it. We need to start acting like the professional organization that we are. I've done all these things in New York. I intend to bring these to the National Party. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Tony. And Angela, feel free to follow up.
3: Absolutely. I have a really beautiful vision for the Libertarian Party. I want us to be a party that reflects our statement of principles. We challenge the cult of the omnipotent state. We're like David throwing a stone at Goliath. We don't reflect the cult of the omnipotent state. We, uh, we uh, chase after its approval. That's not good. We need to change that. I have an ambitious plan that's basically going to take us from the token zero to the liberty hero. Um, I want us to be a party that people value a party that resonates with people's values and reflects our innate desire for freedom, a party that inspires people to cast off their ideological shackles, that inspires people to work towards a freer world. We're right now, we're up against what looks like an insurmountable foe, but I'm really white-pilled about our situation. I think if there's even the slightest chance we can win, it's worth putting up a fight and I'm ready to lead us into that battle. For decades, people have argued over what the purpose of the party is. Is it to win elections or is it to spread the message of liberty? Well, I think why not both? We have to dig into this disagreement and sort it out if we want our party to succeed. We're not like other political parties. We're not. We're much larger and organized than other third parties, but we're nowhere near the size of the Democrats and Republicans. We're a distant third place. And we're principle-based, not power-based. And the principles we cherish aren't shared by other political parties. We value personal freedom. We we reject aggression and authoritarianism, and we can't compromise our principles in order to get ahead. We've seen where that leads us with our failed attempts at overly pragmatic leadership in the past, and when we see libertarians try to operate within the framework of the other two parties. We all want a freer world, but not everyone in the party agrees on how we should get there. So how do we work within our given situation to achieve the broader goals of most of the people in the party? I don't think the answer to de-escalating the infighting lies in a straight compromise. That's not the right way for us to frame it. We want both sides to feel fulfilled, but for no one to feel cut in half. I think we need first and foremost to orient ourselves towards liberty and use the truth to guide us in that direction and bring both sides of the party along with us, while allowing them each to achieve the goals that they want to achieve. That means allowing half of the party to focus on strong, bold messaging and allowing the other half of the party to focus on winning elections. And here's how we'll do that. We amplify the voices of candidates who use bold messaging running in either local winnable elections or high profile elections like Shane Hazel's. And we throw everything that we have behind them. National party, social media, email campaigns, limited amounts of direct mail. uh, and, And why would we do this? besides the fact that Shane is is really awesome and and we wanna win local elections, right? It's because the party's split on what it wants. Half wants to focus on elections, half wants to focus on messaging and issue coalitions. With this plan, everybody can feel fulfilled and and do what they wanna do. Um, So one of the first things that we're gonna do when I'm elected national chair is adopt a two-year strategic plan that incorporates this and it builds on our long-term future. It'll be easily implemented again at the next two-year cycle And easily modified for the next LNC or the chair who comes after me if they need to pivot or make some adjustments. The strategic plan is basically going to treat our goals like bowling pins. You knock the first pin over and that knocks the next pin over and the next. And the first pin is going to be messaging, which I'll answer questions about later. And a big part of it is having committee members who are ideologically aligned and trust each other which is why I've been meeting with so many of the other LNC candidates to discuss this plan and get everyone on board. And when we don't have that second element, trust, it's my job to fill in the gaps and help our board members build trust and move forward together. It's it's part of my job as a leader to help us achieve our goals and to get us there as quickly as possible. Um, I look forward to answering more questions about strategy, leadership style, messaging and affiliate support. I definitely believe that we need to have bold messaging and that needs to be front and center. Um, that's an incredibly valuable part of, I think, the whole Libertarian Party and what we can accomplish. And that's, that's my open.
1: Well, thank you guys so much for your opening statements. Uh, Tony, I'll go ahead and give you a chance to counter there if you have any, any disagreements from her platform. Um, otherwise, I'll just continue with my line of questioning.
4: Go ahead and continue with your line of questioning. Um, I, I think I think you'll find something I've found um, is that, I mean, we're, we're two libertarians that are interviewing for the same job um, and have different styles and slightly different um, uh, ideas as to how to go about this. And I, I'd love to hear your question and see how this uh, conversation just organically develops.
1: Sure. Well, my, my biggest question uh, that, that jumps to mind, and I – you know, as you know, as I've already said, I, I do side with Angela on much of her strategy. Um, but the the primary reason I got involved was because I was sick of milk toast, middle of the road messaging uh, from the Libertarian Party. And I felt like there was not the level of bravery, urgency, uh, call to action that was justified, particularly over the past two years with the lockdowns being the front and foremost of my mind. Um, so I'd like to start there, Tony. It First off, what what was your critique of the the prior libertarian platform, and how would you change that moving forward? And do you think that that it's enough to just focus on local offices, or is the you know national level messaging also going to be a focus of yours?
4: So so the na- so yeah so let's let's get this let's lay it right out on the table. Um, I had problems with the messaging from national on demand mandates too. Uh, a lot of them. Uh, and what I've seen is that they were really slow to respond, um, which, which was a problem. There seems to be some improvement now. Uh, I will say that um, I saw market improvement about a year in uh, when the uh, vaccine passport um, started coming out about, it, about a year into this. I, I live in New York, so that was my state. Um, the one thing I will say is that the national messaging that came out was beautifully written on that um, and was strong. And, and, and strongly opposed to the uh, vaccine passport. I can say that because I wrote it. Um, <laughs> I'm also very humble. I've been, I've been doing bold, not edging messaging in New York for the last couple of years. We've been front and center here. New York City, you can't live um, if you don't have a vaccine card or a fake one, um, a mask, or you go to places that they don't. It's very difficult. I've had friends, party members, directly impacted by these mandates. So that's something that I take really personally. And I'm glad to see some improvement at the National Party, we need to do more. Um, why we didn't just wave on the platform and say, hey, um, government get the hell out of our lives um, from day one, um, boggled my mind. I, I'm glad they got there. I'd bring that same um, um, attitude to National. Like I said, Becca um, Becca is, is doing a much better job uh, now. Um, the messaging coming out of National in general is getting better. It's got a long way to go and I would um, make that a focus of mine. Yes.
1: Okay. And Angela, same. Yeah. Yeah. You, no, it does.
3: Can you, can you recap your question? I want to answer it as specifically as possible.
1: Yeah, like I said, I'm. I was very disappointed in the messaging. Um, uh, Basically, I, I'm just like this is armchair quarterbacking, and I have not been involved, so take it with a grain of salt. But I think I speak for a lot of, you know, non-LP but libertarian-oriented people in that I have felt as if there is a lack of courage, there is a lack of conviction when it comes to messaging in the moment when it's needed desperately, when you can actually stand apart, when you can say we have principles that are above fear and this is why you should be a libertarian and and that that has been my critique of the libertarian party for a long time but it it just was really highlighted during the lockdowns waiting for you know studies to come in and all this other bullshit it just really drove me crazy so that's that's kind of the the line of questioning i have for you Okay. How would you change that?
3: So I've been really outspoken about the fact that we're going to have bold, strong messaging from the national level. But I'd like to kind of break into the nuts and bolts of how that would work. So we've got to move away from low self-esteem messaging. A lot of the messages that come out of LP National, you have the vibe that we're embarrassed to be libertarians. We're sort of apologizing for it and we're not even trying to convince anyone. We're like, oh, we're technically libertarians. So that's going to be scrapped. Part of it means getting the right people on affiliate support messaging, or I'm sorry, not affiliate support, on on messaging campaigns, well, also affiliate support, I'll, I'll discuss that later, so that you have people who are skilled messengers and who are also principled libertarians putting out the messaging. And we've got to have these people on the committee together and working on these projects and collaborating who trust each other and believe that each other have good judgment. Because what also has happened in the past is we've had bottlenecks this thing called the APRC committee that approves messaging. And so then nothing even gets out because everybody's fighting over what we should say. So we've got to get rid of that fighting at the national level. Part of that is going to be me vetting other people and working with people as they get on board and as they, you know, as we get other people who are in alignment with our principles elected to the LNC. And, and then another part of that is going to be me encouraging people and saying, yes, you're doing a great job. Keep going. You don't have to come and ask for my approval for everything you do. We're on the same page. I trust you. Let's get it done. Um, that has been a really, that's been a real problem with leadership is when we have chairs who micromanage and control every single thing that they do because we don't have a group of people on the board who are coalescing around the same values or principles. Does that kind of help to understand how I'm actually going to make it happen?
1: Yeah, no, it does. And cool. I, I think that this is. The way it's felt to me as an outsider has been that we're, we're a very small organization that is operating in a bureaucratic fashion. Yes. Where, where you have, as you described it, a bottleneck with the messaging where you have people at the top that are infighting about how to message. And it's just like to, to the outsider, to the person who's just a libertarian that's living their life, who's having their business shut down, I'm lost I'm like, where 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 is the messaging saying this is evil? This is not what we do. This is un-American. I mean, there's all these all these obvious messages that I thought would have been extremely powerful, especially if they were done with courage and very early on. So I'm just following up with you, Tony. How would you bring about this uh, this change? Because Angela detailed her plan pretty well.
4: Yeah, I actually, actually, uh, Angela and I have very similar um, views on this. Boy, I sound like I'm campaigning for her. I promise you, I'm not. Um, but um, we need to remove those bottlenecks. Um, one of the things that I, I, I say right up front is that we need to set the party up to be scalable. Putting bottlenecks at the top, where where we're giving people an opportunity to fight over messaging at the top, is the exact opposite of scalability. Um, we need to be leaner. We need we need to develop. Um, agile methodologies to uh, get messaging out quicker and uh, more boldly plain and simple
1: okay and what is your your target when i mean since we've got past the messaging side do you think what is your primary focus would it be local or or national campaign strategies what's your preference i haven't discussed that really
4: um. A- absolutely national. I'm ra- I'm running for a national party position, to chair of the national party. Uh, sorry,
1: I I mean more in terms of supporting candidates. Do you think that? Oh. That, oh, that, oh. Yeah.
4: I, I'm I'm sorry. Uh, apologies. Um. Well. Um. That's a that's a two pronged answer. Um. Because. Different states have different requirements. Um. Our primary focus should always be ballot access, making sure that we maximize our ballot access in as many many places as possible. In some states, that means you have to support the gubernatorial race, and that should come from the national party as well as the state parties who should be supporting them more strongly, more on that in a minute. Um, But in some states, that's the presidential race, and we need to be focusing as many resources as possible on that. Uh, I live in New York where they both happen to be ballot access races right now, lawsuit pending um it's my belief that national gets a little bit too much in the weeds on state parties at times especially in discourse not necessarily in action they shouldn't be dictating who states want to run for candidates if if a state party wants to um run somebody um that should be up to the state party but um it is the job of the national party to defend the brand protect the brand that includes ballot access
1: Okay. And Angela, go ahead. Same question, uh, state or national. I know, I think the answer will be somewhere along the lines of messaging nationally, but focusing on campaigns locally. But uh, if I'm wrong, please fill fill me in.
3: So this has to, we have to take a strategic approach to this. I'm going to say that word until everyone is sick to death of it, but that's okay. You know, we'll all adjust. Um, There are local issues that get national attention and there are state level candidates that get national attention. Shane Hazel is a perfect case study in this. It's a state level candidate for, you know, gubernatorial candidate who got national attention because people in other parties are crying that he ruined their vote. Uh, that's a perfect thing to go at, right? And then what else is Shane like really strong on? Anti-war. So we we take one of these candidates and we just knock out as many issues as we can. We use uh, Shane's campaign to help Shane, obviously in his campaign, also to help grow Georgia's ballot access because they do have ballot access, but they have these onerous laws where unless you're running for a state level position, you've got to get thousands of signatures. It's absurd. So, but this will help to garner more support and interest in the Libertarian party without even have us having to spend money at the national level. And that helps Georgia. And then they can use the attention that we give them to work at that, work it at their own level. That's what, what I mean when I talk about decentralization. We have a stated goal at the national level. We are strategically minded. We're working together, but we're doing it in a way that it helps state affiliates where they can use the skills and things that we give them in an autonomous way. So we're kind of working together. Um, There are national issues that need to be highlighted. Definitely lockdowns. Uh, There are 24 states in the country that don't have the opportunity to use initiatives and referendums. So in my opinion, that's a national issue. And by drawing attention to these sort of things and sort of cross-promoting it when we have candidates that are also like candidates that are outspoken on lockdowns, like if we have someone in California or New York who's really strong, then we're hitting national issues while also helping and supporting our state affiliates and supporting issue coalitions. That's uh, sort of my messaging plan in a nutshell.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, we have a question from the audience here. Dave versus says, a question for both candidates. If elected, will you repudiate the actions of the former chair, Josh, uh, Joseph Bishop Henchman, and subsequent coup attempts? Uh, for those that are onlookers and are not familiar with this, there have been uh, many efforts in a handful of states where they have tried to purge the roles of Mises Caucus candidates or, or, or members, rather, um so i think i already know angela's stance on this but i'll start with tony as to are you familiar with this and what no, do you think I've, of it
4: i had a feeling you're going to yeah i'm familiar with it um i am not somebody who's ever going to call for a purge let's just let's just let's just lay that lay that card on the table um i think the lnc getting involved in a state purge a state uh state um power struggle in any way, shape, or form, is out of line. Um, That applies to Delaware, that applies to Massachusetts, that applies to New Hampshire. All three of them, across the board. Either direction, um, calling for purges is really the wrong way to grow the party. If you think I'm talking about you on either side of the argument, you're right. (laughs) Um, Joe Bishop-Henchman's actions in um, New Hampshire disappointed me. Um, I'm disappointed by... Um, some of the uh, discourse on both sides of this issue um, from the national level. That's where I stand. Um, The LNC should stay the hell out of uh, affiliate problems. The LNC should focus on national issues and let the states be states.
1: Fair enough. Angela, same question.
3: Okay, I want to give the most realistic technical answer as possible. So as chair... I am not going to bring a motion to repudiate J.B.H. Uh, or disaffiliate anyone or anything like that. I will absolutely entertain motions if someone wants to bring, like, a resolution or something rep- repudiating Joe Bishop Hinchman's actions or something like that. Um, and I should, because as chair, like, that's my job is to facilitate discussion and help us move forward. So, what would I do if someone brought a motion like, um, like, what's going on with Delaware right now? Well. I'm going to give it as much care and attention as possible, and we're going to listen to it, and we're going to give everyone our full attention. And I don't actually think that that has happened in the past. I think that things have been rushed, and people haven't read everything that people have put forward, and state affiliates, in it. and it and I know it's exhausting and fighting and blah, blah 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 blah. But it's really disrespectful when we don't do that. Um, and the reason that I think it's important for us to do that at the national level is because this actually does come back to us eventually because when we get to convention, there's gonna be disputes about who the rightful state delegation is and we will have to deal with that at convention. So it's better to get out right in front, address it, let everybody talk, say their piece and, and look at who's behaving in a principled fashion, who's breaking their bylaws, who's following the letter of the law, who's following the spirit of the law, who's trying to grow the movement, all of those. We need to consider them And what order we consider those things in is probably going to depend on the situation. But I think it's very important for the LNC to set a good standard. And when you come out strong against, um, quite frankly, bullshit, it discourages other people from engaging in shitty underhanded tactics. So that's what I hope to bring. And and that's definitely going to be like, you know, those are my guiding principles going into this.
1: Well, I think a personal question for myself here, because uh, there has been this on-running belief amongst a certain aspect. The people that are in particular are are trying to purge Mises Caucus members of having you know, racist beliefs or or white supremacist undertones. So uh, in my experience, that's completely counter to the reality of what the Mises Caucus consists of, believes in. Uh, so I, I should ask Tony, if, <clears throat> as I don't think that you're a Mises Caucus member, but if I'm wrong, uh, please correct me, uh, what has been your experience with them? And are you of the belief that there is some sort of deep seated, you know, racist or white supremacist problem within the libertarian movement? Because as as laughable as it is to myself and Angela, there are a lot of people that believe that. So I just want to see what your position is.
4: I'm really glad you asked me that question, Clint. Um, Great. Great. So, um, so let's open it up. No, I'm not a Mises Caucus member. Uh, the only caucus I'm a member of right now is the is the Waffle House Caucus. Um, I like waffles. They have better um, food. They they they, they do. Um, I don't look at any of these caucuses as monoliths, and I think that's a mistake that some people um, in the party are making. Are there people? in the party who are problematic on that level? Yeah. Is that a new problem? No, no, it's not. Um, Or or did we forget about the uh, crying Nazi um, whose name is escaping me right now? Why is his name escaping? Doesn't matter. He's no longer a libertarian. He's not a libertarian. He was never a libertarian. Um, Right in our platform, we condemn bigotry as, um, as um, irrational and repugnant, and I do, and I do stand by that. Um, do I think that there's a monolithic organization that is um, not condemning bigotry and um, instead um, promoting it, um, which would very much be against that platform? No. Are there individuals? Sure. There's some individuals, and um, we should make the uh, Libertarian Party a poisonous organization for them because we condemn bigotry as irrational and repugnant. We condemn bigotry as irrational and repugnant. That should be a poisonous organization for anybody who doesn't condemn bigotry, who is a bigot. Um, And I don't think that that's our problem in the party. Our problem in the party is not that we have to get rid of some monolithic group that wants to do things. Our problem in the party is that we have individuals um, who are making those monolithic groups sometimes look bad. And I'm not just talking about the Mises Caucus here, by the way. I'm talking about other organizations as well. Um, And maybe those people got to go. Maybe those people need to step to the sidelines because the rest of us here in the middle who aren't affiliated with any caucuses, who aren't part of any of those conversations, just want to get people elected, want to get good messaging, want to get good leadership from the top down. We just want to lead from the front and grow the party uh, and stop worrying about this bullshit.
1: Sounds good to me. Um, Angela, same question. I, I Again, I think I know your answer, but please fill, fill in the audience.
3: Um, no, the Mises caucus isn't full of a bunch of racists. I really, <laughs> I would, I would really like the party to stop behaving like the worst people in the country, which are, and, and in my opinion, the worst people in the country are the people who ignore all of the really important issues, things that are more They haven't happened in like 200 years, like unprecedented lockdowns, a president who is trying to put in a national vaccine passport on some level. Like, let's focus on that and not screaming racist at people we don't like, because it's absurd. Uh, And there's a bunch of gay people in the Mises caucus. I I hate to break it to you. Um, And the only person who sounds like a bigot is the person who tells a trans Mises caucus person they have internalized misogyny. That actually sounds kind of cringe. Uh, you break that down. But also, um, what is a bigot? Because I feel like that word gets used a whole lot. And what it seems to me is that when we use the word bigot now, we mean you don't agree with me. Because, you know, we can look at Webster's definition, whatever, but, but that's not really what's happening here. We, people are using the word bigot to say, like, oh, you're slightly social conservative, even though you're gay marriage and everything, you have a slightly different view about something, you're a bigot. That's absurd. Everybody's always going to have different views about how they live their personal lives. If you're a libertarian, you just don't want to enact laws that say people can't live their lives, you know, like with a certain lifestyle. And that's what I'm on board with. And uh, are there people who are a little too loud and aggressive about their personal lifestyle on both sides? Well, yeah, you can chill out. But it also doesn't make you not a libertarian. It just makes you, I don't know, kind of annoying. So it's just, <laughs> which shouldn't also not be the focus of our organization. Like I don't want to have to police every annoying person in the party. Just go get therapy, please just get therapy. That's <laughs> that's, yeah, that's probably that's
1: advisable for, for all people involved. Tony, you have a question?
4: No, no, uh, I'd like to respond to some of that. Sure. Um, a couple of those things. I agreed with a lot of Angela said, and and I disagreed with some of it. And and I'd love to just uh, lay it out. First of all, there are a lot of annoying people in the party, and why do I not want to deal with them? That was several today, um, um, including um, no, nah, I won't. I won't name any of them. I was just going to make a joke about that, but 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 it's true. Um, and sometimes there are people in our party who do act like the worst people. Abridging, denying, um, prejudicing. Um, people on the basis of sex, wealth, ethnicities, creed, race, natural origin, personal habits, pre- political preference, sexual orientation. There's probably some other things. I just read them right out of the platform. Don't mind me. That's bigotry. Um, and applying and anything broader than that is a mistake. Um, there's no doubt about that. But to say that racism is, a, even though we have this giant lockdown problem, which is a problem, these mandates are a problem, We need to address that. We need to address that with our messaging. We need to address that with our actions. That doesn't mean that racism isn't. That doesn't mean that bigotry isn't. I know the whole country watched a couple years ago while George Floyd got curb stomped by a cop. We had someone in Rochester, New York—that's where I um, live—named Daniel Prude who um, was also murdered by the cops um, in the in um, a couple months before George Floyd. in much the same brutal manner um i sometimes talk about rochester police a lot because i get to see their their actions um head on um they make local news um they they decided that pepper spraying a nine-year-old child for talking back to a police officer was okay um because they, they they felt like using um racial slurs to um refer to that nine-year-old child who had just been pepper sprayed was okay we can talk about the lockdowns we can talk about the mandates and we should boldly and loudly but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about bigotry and racism when it happens in our face because talking about that standing up to that is just as libertarian
1: well I, i don't i don't really disagree i think that the the important delineating factor when you're discussing racism is is, is it backed by institutional power? Is it backed by law? Is it backed by the state? Something that we can all, I think, agree upon is that if it's just a bad idea, which it is, I don't, I'm not racist and I think it's a stupid way of looking at life, um, but I also don't think it's really that... It's not. It shouldn't be our focus in the sense that we're not thought police and we can't possibly know what's in people's heart. However, when you see cops abusing people, regardless of race. I mean, I think this is the other problem when you go down this kind of identitarian path is that cops abuse and murder people of all colors, creeds, national origins, everything. And when we only talk about it in the black lives matter sense, we kind of miss the overarching point that it is a monopoly on violence and a lack of accountability that is really creating this problem. Um, do you agree? Do you disagree with any, any of that?
4: I don't, I don't disagree with any of that, frankly. Um, I am, I am saying that as somebody who, um, another person, another personal example and everything you said was everything you said was right. Um, we have law enforcement in this country, um, who are definitely abusing the power and, and, but if you think about it, this is kind of, um, um, uh, another microcosm of life. We have people in our party that are making the whole monolith look bad. We have people in law enforcement who are making the whole monolith look bad. Not every cop is a racist. Not every cop uses the N-word. Not every TSA official decides to stop me for um, a random screening because um, I look like I'm Middle Eastern. Um, there's a reason I don't have facial hair. Um, that's that's true. Um, there there are a couple of TSA. It. Who, who would do it over and over there are the institutions that exist to allow them to um, to um, to propagate like that should be poisonous um, that's where I stand
1: well I, I think that my concern is that when we go down the the racial argumentation when we're trying to fight uh, police corruption and really just the entire organization of policing, by its very nature is it infringes on property rights and and our rights as freedom loving people especially when we're behaving in a peaceful fashion they still have the power and all cops this is where the whole acab thing comes from is that even if they aren't racist they can still be tyrants you know and okay. and i think that when you focus on the racism aspect of it instead of the fact that they're behaving as a tyrant to all of us uh, it kind of misses the mark and it allows people to become I- embedded in this sectarian divide when, in fact, it should be kind of a us versus tyrants type type divide. So well, I don't know, that's my perspective.
4: So so let me let me frame it for you a little differently, because I don't disagree with you on that at all. Um, but we can most of us are adults. We can focus on two things.
1: Sure. We can walk and chew gum. I got gotcha. you.
4: So so let's so let's let's walk through what happened with George Floyd. We all watched George Floyd get curb stomped by a cop, and all that all that um, fun stuff happened, and and then suddenly all our targets were burned down.
1: Let, let me uh, let me clarify because curb stomping has a very specific meaning. He was kneeled upon. I, 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 I,
4: understood, I understood it. Um, yeah, and and I've heard people you know say, oh, he was just kneeled upon. I I mean, he was asphyxiated by a police officer. Let's just let's just go there. He died in the hands of a police officer. Yeah, his death was facilitated by law enforcement. Um, that did spark a large that 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 really um, energized the Black Lives Matter movement and and brought um, the the uh, systematic racism that does uh, exist in law enforcement to life. But it did something else too, because it also brought the cruelty and brutality that some law enforcement officials use to like. So not only, so yes, we're focusing on the racism to a certain extent, and, and I'm not saying that should be the only focus, but we're also focusing on the systemic brutality, um, the um, over of force, the violence um, put, put forth by police officers. We're not ignoring that, but that doesn't make this not a problem.
1: That's, that's totally fair. I think the my my critique or my problem with it is is that it seems as if when because the the country is being divided on cultural lines with this this racism conversation it does distract especially when it's the libertarian party who is trying to point towards state power as being the problem and when you focus on racism you play into that critical race theory type mentality it misses the the bigger point of actually reforming the police to limit the violence or to decrease it as much as possible. Um, I've I've gone back and forth with Tony multiple times. So go ahead, Angela, and fill in wherever you think.
3: So when I see overt racism, I absolutely have no issue with people calling that out. You know, or with me calling it out. One of the things that kind of irritated me about everything that happened with like the with the BLM messaging, there were several things, and I know that that's going to trigger people, but that's okay. You can sit with your discomfort and hear me out. Uh, one of the things that bothered me is that. The L.A. County sheriffs have actual racist gangs in their organization. There have been L.A. Times articles about it, lawsuits. It's insane. And that never gets attention because it's not it doesn't have as much media attention. And so that does the media doesn't stir emotion around it as much because these guys are very entrenched in their institutional power. And and I'm saying that I'm not saying so much that racism is entrenched in their institutional power. The people who are in control in the L.A. County Sheriff's Office and everything that happens there, like it's been there for a very long time and it doesn't get the attention that it should. They will send police officers to um, to South Central and East L.A. to respond to an active shooter situation, say they're going to send backup and not send it because they're they're like, we hope you die. You're 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 brown. We hope you die. That never gets attention. Instead, we just get like this sort of like race war narrative that happens at the national level. I would really like us to move away from clickbait stuff and getting emotionally triggered. And and if we're going to actually discuss racism, focus on like very real, very obviously easily proven issues. Like, why can't we get someone running for sheriff? Uh, Trust me, I've looked, you know, but, but like running for sheriff in L.A., if you're willing to go there and call that out, that would be a really good issue campaign. And you can talk about racism and you can point right to it and be like, no, look right here. This person died. This person is alleging this. We've got these declarations. So that's kind of my my take on it. I hope that makes yeah. sense. No,
1: it does. Um, I, I really uh, it's just that the I think it's a really important issue. And, and yeah. I think that that's that's the thing that gets lost in this is like I love Spike Cohen's campaign in that he. He tried to bring to Black Lives Matter, the organization, actual libertarian ideas to remedy the issues that they wanted to be addressed. But it it ended up being, in my opinion, kind of a failure because BLM has now turned on him and they have they have treated him as if he's some sort of racist pariah when all he was trying to do was actually address their very specific complaints. And I thought that he did it in a principled fashion. I think that the mistake is made when you start to message in a way that's kind of a uh, a pandering. And yeah. And I'm I'm concerned with that moving forward because there is this this desire from the former LP organization as it stands today where they wanted to be accepted by the cathedral as yep. I call it. Um it seemed as if they were most interested in, you know, being invited to the cocktail parties and not saying saying some libertarian ideas but not saying anything that would actually rub people the wrong way. And I think that if we intend to ever stand out and, and capture a real significant audience in this country, the, particularly the people that are realizing there is no party that represents them, who can possibly represent me? And they're not going to look for someone who is another variant of these two parties that they despise. They're going to want something that's special, that stands out, that's bold, that's powerful, that's uh, you know appealing on fronts. So Tony, I, I know I just threw a ton at you, but what would you be what would be your way to uh, to bring that to pass? Do you do you disagree with that premise? Uh, what's your vision?
4: I, I don't disagree with that premise at all. Um, I I um I like to open the statement by 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 saying that um, as much as I love cocktails, um, I can drink them at home. I don't need to go to parties to have them. Great, um, I'm glad to hear it. So. So I'm not looking to get invited to um, cocktail parties. Um, I am not afraid to um, wave the platform right right here in our face. This is where the Libertarian Party is unique and really can distinguish itself. You know, the Democrats and Republicans have platforms. Um, large, Largely, they're usually driven by their presidential candidates. Um, you, you might notice that they, they, they change and they morph every four years. Ours has been not completely unchanged for 50, but... Um, has been relatively straight, uh, straightforward, has been relatively consistent for the last 50 years. Um, those two parties are just saying, oh, we represent the left, oh, we represent the right. Um, and, and as a result, scores of people flock to them because, oh, I'm I'm team red, or oh, I'm team blue. It, it's, it's really team sports um we're different um it's harder to be a libertarian because you have to actually give some critical thought to two things you have to really think through your issues uh i will tell you that when i first had my when i had my first conversation with a libertarian many 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 years ago uh when harry brown was first running for president in 96 um he scared the hell out of me um look at all the things he wanted to do day one if you look at his platform the, the ATF abolish, abolish it completely. The FBI abolish it completely. Um, Department of Defense greatly diminished. So I'm coming here from from the two-party system where those are foreign concepts to, to me. Right. Uh, going, going, holy shit. <laughs> um, and of course, I had a conversation with real libertarians who showed me how that actually works because it's an educational process. Mm-hmm we really have to become not only the political party that runs candidates, but we, have to be, we have to be more of an educational organization. We have to make it easy for voters to learn what libertarian is, libertarianism is. Because our principles really mm-hmm. do match with a lot of people in this country. We've seen candidates time and again make inroads running as strong libertarians, running as libertarians in those other two parties running with some loose libertarian ideals um, in some cases running strong libertarian campaigns in others because the libertarianism is what's driving them, not necessarily the the one party or the other Mm -hmm. by becoming a more of an educational, not more of an educational organization because we're still a national party who needs to run candidates. And that's our main purpose. By becoming that organization, we can grow libertarians. We can show people the libertarianism that's that's already inside them um, as opposed to saying, oh, I, as opposed to them saying, I'm team red, I'm team blue. Show them the goal.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, and Angela, similar question to you. Basically, the way I, I view this is like we have, I never thought in my lifetime we'd see a better opportunity for the Libertarian Party than 2016 with Trump going against Hillary. And and i feel like we have it now like this is yeah. this is as good a cultural environment as i've ever witnessed in terms of mistrust of the media mistrust of the duopoly um complete hatred for so much of what's happening in this country and lo- people in mass looking for a third way uh, do you view it similarly and how will we reach those people is is it enough to just stand apart do we have to play ball with with the uh, the bullshit duopoly games or, or what do you think?
3: Um, okay. So I agree that this is going to be, this is it. We can't fumble the ball. This is the moment and we've got to be like on our a game uh, and very responsive to it. We're going to have to stand apart. Um, I'm really trying to think about what all that entails. What does it mean to stand apart? Uh, I think that we've got to be bold and unapologetic about our messaging and you've got to really hold the line. And that means that there are gonna be some people who are offended, oh, you just want grandmas to die. You can't give in to those people. You can't go weak in the knees and crumble, no apology tours, we can't do that. Um, do you have to play ball with the, with the two major parties? You shouldn't be trying to mold yourself to be like them. That's not what we should do. We do have to actually work with them to a certain extent because that's the framework of politics. Right. And so what that means is like, you know, like everybody's very uh, up in arms in the Republican Party right now about Shane Hazel's run. I don't think that Shane should back down and say, I'm not going to run. But it has opened an interesting dialogue where they're trying to kind of barter with him and say, hey, but w- would we give you this? If it- What if we give you this if-, if you don't run? What about this? What about that? I think that's fantastic. I don't think yes, you should follow. trading. Yeah, I don't think he should fold, but we're actually moving in the right direction where they're seeing that we actually have some value and we're some threat to them. So I think that we should play off of that. And I do think that it's that it would be worthwhile to be strategic about that. Like, I don't want to run someone against Thomas Massey. I wouldn't be opposed to a rumor starting about it and then backing (laughs) off to get something in exchange for something we were never going to do. So, unfortunately, I just, you know, put that on the Cat's internet. out
1: of the bag on that one. Yeah, now, cat's but, out of the bag. Uh,
3: but, uh, but, you know, and Thomas Massey, I'm saying because that's like an obvious one, but there are less obvious positions like that where it would piss less people off on the internet where you could go for it with that same strategy. So, I do yeah. think we should work with them to that extent.
1: Uh, just quick question across the board. You guys are opposed to, I assume, federal and state level vaccine mandates? Yeah.
3: And county and city level, please, because that's what I'm fighting on in
1: L.A. Perfect. It will take it all the way to the local. Um, I think that there's been a real divide amongst the libertarian movement when it comes to how to how to address this, because a lot of us have said a lot of the principled libertarians have said and then I have I consider myself one of them uh, have said that it's if a private business orders their employees to do something. Uh, even if it's an invasive procedure like medical treatment, uh, we have no say in it. And, and I understand the hesitancy for us to throw our hat in the ring on one side or the other on this debate uh, because it's not straightforward at all. That being said, I think there would be a tremendous amount of value and you would have a huge outpouring of support from people that, that feel as if they've been abandoned in this moment um, that have lost their jobs because either they had prior immunity because they had already caught COVID or they have underlying medical conditions that make it impossible. And they have to choose between, you know, potentially risking their lives or their career. And I don't know if that's just third rail, we uh, ignore it or if we take a position there, do you, uh, I'll start with Tony. Do you have any opinion as to how we address that? Because as I've already openly admitted, it is a very complicated issue.
4: Boy, um, I'm glad you said it was a very complicated issue claim. Yes, it is. It's, it, it's a very complicated issue because this is one of those uh, issues where you can kind of see both sides, right? Um, mm-hmm. A private business should have the right to freely associate with whoever they want to associate with. And if they say, hey, I only want vaccinated people here, we should respect that, right? Here's if, where- if it were that simple, yes. Here's where that falls apart. That's never been what's happened here. Um, from day one, um, we've gotten a message from um, from our governments, local, county, state, federal, that the only way to beat this is to slap, throw a vaccine at it. Um, and by the way, There are several different vaccines, so which one do I go with? Um, Are are they all as effective? Um, I'm not sitting here to talk about the efficacy of vaccines because I don't think we should really be involved in that argument. I think we should be involved in the mandating against, against, we should be involved to be against mandates at all Mm -hmm. levels. Mm -hmm. Any business that is telling you you have to be vaccinated in order to freely associate has been coerced into doing that. Almost without fail, um, mm-hmm. almost without exception. Um, so we need to be strong against the mandates. We need to be strong in supporting businesses that will stand up to the mandates with us. Take it as take take the positive angle as opposed to going. Let's condemn these businesses because they're because they're um, mandating vaccines for their employees. And by the way, I've had a number of friends who have lost their jobs in New York because they refused to get vaccinated and um and i don't think that that was right for their employers to do that um and as in each case they ended up in better places um had employers didn't require that and it was their old employers loss they lost great talent um we're seeing that in healthcare all across new york and across the country Mm -hmm. um we're seeing that at the taco bell drive-thru where you place a mobile order and you show up at the taco bell drive-thru and they're closed because they don't have enough staff because they had fire their staff because the government told them that everybody had to be vaccinated um by the way um are they checking for measles mumps rubella polio smallpox smallpox we haven't really done for a while but There's a lot of that.
1: Yeah, they're not really checking for anything else. It's just this one thing, and they're all doing it voluntarily. It's very weird.
4: And and, and frankly, if you if if you say, "Oh, those are different," okay, fine. But even though it's a different disease, influenza—they're not checking for flu vaccines. Influenza and COVID nineteen are. We are at a point or closing in where they are both endemic and not pandemic we need to stop the pandemic mentality uh, and that and we need to stand strong against mandates.
1: Angela, same question for you. is this uh, is this too complicated a topic for the libertarian party to take a stance on?
3: No, it's not too complicated a topic. Uh, it is very complicated though. And I think that there are a couple of things that we should consider. So one is about six months ago, biden uh, was quoted in several mainstream newspapers as saying that he was not going to have the federal government play a role in this he was going to rely on the private sector to roll out vaccine mandates now we know that's not true and he lies but the significant part there is that he was pressuring the private sector from the federal government from the white house to enact vaccine passports on his behalf that's what he wanted to do whitney webb has done some really good journalism on this topic you can see that a lot of the organizations that are pushing for digital vaccine mandates, which are very much uh, like China's social credit system, have worked in the public and private sector. There are a lot of people from border control who have crossed over and they're working with uh, organizations that push these private mandates. Same with Google and Microsoft. It's a public-private partnership. It's really cringy, or it's really frightening. And I think that it is totally within our rights to speak out against that, And as long as we're careful with our words while also understanding optics, uh, I think that this is something that we can tackle and we should, and it presents also a really good opportunity for us to speak out against cronyism. And that's something better to the left. They don't really understand cronyism. They have sort of a general idea of what it is, but this is something where we can just really hit the nail on the head.
1: Well, I'm I'm happy to hear that from both of you cuz I think it is a it's a huge opportunity. I mean, you have uh, my audience in particular. There's millions of people out there that are very very concerned with the private employer mandates. And yeah. I think that you have an opportunity here to defend minority rights. You know, for the woke people out there that are interested in that. These are uh, by minority I mean the the unvaccinated. Like these are not, not color-wise.
3: Well, uh, so, but you know, honestly, in LA, over sixty percent, yeah. over sixty percent of LA's black population is unvaccinated, and we've got right. a vaccine mandate that I'm working to repeal right now. That is hopefully going to undo what is what has turned into accidental racial segregation.
1: Right. Well, accidental or not.
3: <laughs> well, yeah.
1: Who knows? Uh,
3: yeah. No. Good point well taken.
1: Yeah. Say, and I know Tony, being in New York, you've. You're you're well aware of the you know disproportionate effect that it has on racial minorities there too. So I won't yeah, I won't pester you with the, I won't pester you with that. I, I think that, that yeah. if you won't use that type of argumentation when you're dealing with the left, it makes perfect sense. I just want to make sure that we don't miss the actual principle that we're arguing for, which is not, you know, the fact that, well, if this affected only white people, then it'd be fine. You know, it's like, no, this is a problem because it's immoral and and this is not what we believe in, and that's that's kind of my biggest critique of the the woke messaging. Um, I Keith Knight of uh, Don't Tread on Anyone podcast had a good question. Uh, since I've been hitting Tony first, I'll, I'll let him go second this time. Angela, <sighs> he he wants to hear uh, what would be your argument to convert people, like kind of an elevator pitch, both from the left and from the right. So if you can do kind of a one minute pitch to the left and a one minute pitch to the right.
3: Oh, one minute pitch to the left and a separate one minute pitch to the right. Okay. Yeah. Well take your
1: time. I know I kind of hit you out of left field on this. No,
3: that's that's fine. It's just that there are so many different ways. Like I don't actually think there's a one size fits all approach. Oh
1: certainly not. Yeah.
3: So so right now I deal with the topic of mandates, and that's been my best way to do outreach to the right. And I generally tell people that, you know, we're libertarians. And we believe that you have the absolute right to control what goes into your body. We oppose vaccine mandates. Uh, We also oppose the government enforcing them on businesses because we believe strongly in private property rights. And we think you should be able to do business with whoever you wanna do business with. We also oppose taxation because that's what's funding a lot of this stuff and enabling the government to do it. Um, You know, and we're very anti-war. Could you imagine having the troops turned on us here at home to enforce this sort of stuff. We really need to scale back our military and have a better understanding of the role of the military. So if you're interested, I'd invite you to join one of our next libertarian meetups and see some more people see if it's in alignment with your values. That would be uh, that'd be my elevator pitch to the right. Elevator pitch to the left, what would my issue be? It would be drug decriminalization, uh, at least in LA. I would tell them, you know, we're working right now uh, with some other groups to support an initiative to decrim psilocybin. We think that it's really important for you to control what goes into your body. And we know that there have been a lot of benefits to this sort of stuff, Uh, therapeutic benefits that have been suppressed by the government. We think that you should be able to have the right to do whatever you want to do to your body and also in your own home. And that's one of the reasons that we support private property rights so much. We think that psychedelics are also an incredibly uh, valuable tool to help uh, veterans get over PTSD. Obviously, we agree with you that we wanna bring the troops home and um, you know have a safe country. And part of that involves having, having our veterans have better mental health care and, and not being blown apart across the world. So if you're interested in that sort of thing and you'd like to meet some libertarians and see if you agree, why
1: don't you come by one of our next meetups and we'll get you connected. Sounds good.
4: Tony, same question. Oh, yeah, and, and, and it is a tough question because, frankly, um, a lot of times my message to the left and the right will depend on who the candidates are, and what the issues are today the day. But, 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 but I'll try to make this as general as possible, and I'll start with the right. Um, usually when somebody from the right comes up to me, they're registered Republican or not registered. The Republican Party has left you. Um, they, they claim to be about smaller government, and they're not. They've been growing government for decades. They claim to be about putting more money in your pocket and, and in decreasing the debt load um, of, of our country, and they're not. When they've been in with when they've been in power, our debt load has risen, and you've had less and less money in your pocket. The, the value of the dollar has has gone down. Um, We're the only party that supports smaller government, that supports um, ending the Federal Reserve Program. We're the only party that will fully support your right to bear arms. No other party will do that on the left or the right. We will not leave you. Perfect. If if I'm talking to someone on the left, um, it's gonna be a very similar argument because they're probably a Democrat, maybe a Green. Um, Your party has failed you, your party has left you, your party claims to be anti-war, but your representatives continually vote to prolong and enter new war. The administrations on the left, the the Democratic administrations have done a great job bombing and droning the Middle East, they claim to be about rights. They claim to be against discrimination. They claim to be for criminal justice reform, and yet we see time and again that that's not happening in this country. The Libertarian Party is the only party that will stand against war consistently, that will stand for your right to put any substance in your body you want. We stand for for the the right um, to use marijuana and other recreational drugs. We support um, your medical freedom. We support your freedom to live your life as you please in your bedroom. in in every aspect of your life.
1: Yep. Great. I, I, and I think that this is a good way to tie back in kind of why I rose to prominence and why I think that this is so important to be courageous early on is that I named my show Liberty Lockdown 30 days into the lockdowns. And I was like, Hey, no, one's talking about this. This is a really important thing. And a lot of people didn't like me early on. And then my audience grew and grew because as more people, you know, came to see the light on this issue of how, immoral and dangerous lockdowns where now people get to look at me and go, this guy was, you know, uh, he was seeing the future. He knew he knew. And, and that's the same thing that Ron Paul did. And I'm, I'm certainly not cl- putting myself in the camp of Ron Paul. Cause he's, uh, I, I look up to the guy so much, but I think that that's, that's the lesson in that is that if you tell the truth early on, it it allows you to set yourself apart and it allows people to know that you're the real deal that you're when when they're being lied to by both major parties, they can then look at this other group that's been saying this consistently year after year and saying it when it matters most, and eventually people will start to consider your opinions uh, in that moment. And I think that that's what we really need. I think that there's a real opportunity to point out that the lockdowns and the vaccine mandates, the entire vaccine 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 push, is a duopoly issue. Like you can you can absolutely hate the Biden administration and everything they're doing right now, but you cannot separate that fact from the fact that the Trump presidency brought that to our front door by declaring the national emergency, uh, doing Operation Warp Speed, everything else. Mm-hmm. So I just, I guess I, I'm just, I, I'm not a really good moderator here. I have too many opinions, so I'm just going to throw some stuff at you, but I'm, I'm mm-hmm. hoping that you guys will um, implement this strategy into our into our national platform because I really believe that there are so many people particularly now I can just feel it I can just feel it in the air like people are really coming to our side on how evil these lockdowns were and and I think that if we had been the party that had capitalized on that from jump we would be in such an incredibly powerful position right now where everyone that's waking up these freedom convoys like the fact that the freedom convoy isn't a libertarian phenomenon like like isn't doesn't have our name tied to it somehow is very frustrating to me because we are really the only people that were opposed to it from the beginning um i don't really have a question there but any any commentary angela
3: yeah i'm hoping that we can get some uh some strong activism out that is that is really pushed out by the by the national party and we can let states obviously you know handle it how they want. We're not going to micromanage them, but I would like to get some strong messaging campaigns and back people who are doing boycotts things. Here's something that we can do at the national level. Roll out an initiative campaign. States are doing it, counties are doing it, cities are doing it, whatever. I've got an organizing call with New York later that obviously Tony is invited to, to help them with their anti-mandate thing. Why don't we have at the national level an initiative campaign to fight against all of the mandates? And states and county parties, they're going to be the ones leading the charge, but we're going to provide them resources. We're going to provide communications for them to collaborate with and elevate them and give them national attention. Let's do that. You know, and then there are going to be other opportunities that arise. Like, I don't know what's going to be next, you know, like healthcare workers has has been a thing, truckers, whatever the next thing is, like, let's just start giving them support and using that as a way to obviously help people in their fight for freedom, but also lend our party credibility, grow our movement, grow our membership. Mm -hmm. Like we can do all of those things as long as we just kind of stack them priority wise and have our resources and basically have our shit together.
1: Right. Well, that would be a a nice change. Uh, Tony, same. I mean, if you would like to comment, otherwise I have a a very hot topic question that I can hit you guys with.
4: Oh, I'm looking forward to that, but I'll give you a a quick comment. Um, the, the, one thing, the, the, one, the one thing that I will say about this is, and this is a, a, a problem that we have fallen to in the past in New York State, and, and we're getting a little bit better at it, um, is that not everybody's a good activist. There are some people that are great fundraisers, there are some people that are great petitioners, there are some people that write great messaging, there are some people that are great administrators, and there are some people that are absolutely phenomenal activists. Those are the people I want to be activists. I don't want them trying to be activists and fundraise because they're shitty at it, um, or message because they're shitty at it. We need to get the right people doing the right jobs in our party, and I don't think we necess- I th- We've we've done a really bad job of that. Um, just look, I just thinking back at all the things that I've done in this party. Some of them I was really good at, and some of them I was really bad at. Sure. Um, and I'm not really going to underline the things I was really bad at because <laughs> boy, that would really be. Hey, what are you shitty at? <laughs> um, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, but I, I, I'm pretty good at messaging. I'm, I'm a pretty good administrator. I run a great meeting. Um, those are, we need to really do that talent analysis of who we already have in the Libertarian Party and put them in roles that, that, that are going to make them thrive and us thrive, make us sure. look really good.
1: Division of labor, focusing on strengths. I, I think that's all. Yeah. Things that happen with. Sorry, there's some weird noise that's happening over here. Um, can you guys hear me? Okay. Yeah, you're fine. Okay. Um, so here's the the third rail of libertarianism that I I stumbled on over the past week as I debated Martha Bueno. I, and I honestly I didn't even know the platform stance on this. I had always assumed that immigration was a kind of a third rail like there's a lot of, in my opinion, very libertarian argumentation to be found on both sides of that argument. And then I realized that it is, in fact, uh, part of our party platform that open borders is essentially what we advocate for. I think that we lose a lot of really good libertarians with that being part of our platform. And while I am not uh, I don't have a hard opinion either way, I kind of devil's advocated uh, in that entire Martha Bueno debate. I think that there is really compelling Libertarian argumentation to be had for open borders, and I think there's a really, really good argument to be had that Dave Smith kind of uh, brought to the front of mind for me uh, when he debated Spike Cohen on Lines of Liberty. And I, I am now torn, and I, and I've, I've had because I have a pretty significant audience. I've had a lot of people reach out to me that are more conservative leaning, but almost entirely libertarian, that are. Not for open borders, and many of them say they will never support the Libertarian Party because of it. Uh, so I'll start with Angela. What do you think? Is it is it a topic that we should be uh, looking at again? Is it overlook it? What do you think?
3: Okay, so here's my first question: Is we I think we need to define our terms. What is open borders? We don't not for the entire world, but for this conversation. What does it mean to be open borders?
1: Uh, well, I think. From I, I can only do what yeah. Martha's Martha's argument was that it would be open borders, as in there's no there's no checks on immigration, and that um, you know basically the federal government and apparently down to state level would allow anyone to cross the border at their will.
3: Okay, so I think that one of the reasons that we really struggle with this is because we, this art this debate is very poorly defined. Open borders could mean all kinds of things. It could mean that you could come here to work freely, but it doesn't guarantee you citizenship. It could mean the freedom to come about like literally for anything except it ends birthright citizenship. There are so many things that could happen. So I think our platform is is pretty vague on what open borders is, but it gives you kind of the vibe that anybody can come over here to do whatever they want as long as they don't bomb us. But then it also says shall not be unreasonably constrained, but it doesn't define what that constraint would be. I generally think that we go too hard on open borders, even though I personally lean in that direction. But when I say I lean in that direction, when we get into like what that actually means, is then I have to start looking at policies and like what does that mean? Do I mean that I want everyone to come over here? No, I, I think that that would be absurd. Not everybody actually wants to come over here. I don't want to keep, but then I can't keep people out. So it, like, what does it actually mean? And What I would like to see is, I would like to see the border opened up for people to come over here and work however they want. I don't think that we should grant citizenship to every single person, but that's not, in my opinion, part of an argument about borders. That's a separate argument about citizenship. Um, And I also think that we we should keep in mind the context of what private borders would be like in a more libertarian society. And that means that we wouldn't have public land and you wouldn't get to just run roughshod over someone's lawn. And I think that trying to move in the direction of private borders while also getting rid of the welfare and warfare state would be the best libertarian position. And I think that arguments over how open our borders should be are helpful, but arguments about all or nothing right now are stupid because we can't even get there.
1: Well, that, that was exactly my take on it. It's like I, I feel like it would be an easy enough modification to say we believe in the free movement of people as long as we don't exist in this statist paradigm where you have welfare and warfare and right. the war on terror and the war on drugs and everything else. It's like this is and I, I got a lot of pushback because uh, apparently this is kind of a a religious position to some people where it's like, no, it no, is. no, if you have any infringements at all on people's movement, then it's. You know, it's not it's, the libertarian stance, and I, and I, you know, it it's was not very frustrating. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, it's, it's frank not frank. realistic. And I am very,
3: a- I'm soft on this issue. Like, I live in L.A. I have a lot of friends who are here illegally. I don't care. I'm not sending them back. I'm not signing up. Like, you do your thing. Like, and I provide cover for them sometimes. But, but right. we have to also like look at this realistically. Like, what are the implications? What is it done? How does how does it how do we manage it financially? I just wish we could be like adults when we discuss this instead of like flipping out and screaming that someone's not a real libertarian.
1: Yeah, well, that would be lovely. And and I think that that's that's the issue is that, you know, this is a and I got a lot of pushback on this because yeah. and Dave did, too, that he said, you know, this is a very minority opinion. Like this is a very unpopular opinion to the American voter broadly across the political spectrum, like open borders, completely open, no restriction whatsoever is not popular. Correct. And and, and it, that's just a fact. That's not to say that like that makes it right to want closed borders. It's just like, well, this is a very, a very hot topic, a very unpopular stance to take. And it doesn't seem to add much value because ultimately we couldn't implement it if we wanted to. We're not going to be able to open the borders. So like, why are we, why are we hanging our hat on something that is only going to push people away but actually, will not help uh, immigrants. You know, like that. And if that's our goal here, is to actually help decrease suffering uh, and increase economic well-being, it, it just doesn't seem like it makes sense. So, Tony, I'll, I'll close out with your response on this. Is that is that something that we should look at again, or, or should we leave it be?
4: So, I mean, it, I mean, it, it, it is a very. Angela actually um, um, said some really, um, really strong, um, really strong things. I agree with there. Um, immigration and um, the subject of borders um, are two subjects that are frequently conflated and, and we need to not do it. If we look at the platform, it's the, the plank that talks about open borders is free trade and migration. We support the removal of government impediments to free trade. It's a free trade um, um, stance. Now I personally um, am of the opinion on immigration because let's face it, just because we say that these arguments are conflated doesn't mean that they're not going to be conflated, and we should we should be able to speak to them. Um, moving moving to a more Ellis Island type system where where you know they're checking you to see if you have syphilis and, and TB, um, and and checking to make sure that you haven't actively said you're going to bomb New York um, before we let you in. So health check, safety check, and, the, and then and then you're done. You can live your American dream. That not talking about the path to citizenship or anything like that. Um, That would do something to more open the borders. That is something that could get implemented, that we could advocate for. um, That would be a step towards open borders um, from an immigration standpoint. I don't think any of us want to see borders up when it comes to free trade. Uh, I think we want to be able to buy stuff from who we want to buy stuff from, um, no matter where they are in the world. Uh, yes. and that's something that any libertarian should get behind.
1: No, it's no all disagreement about, there, yeah.
4: It's all about framing the argument and making sure that we're not conflating the issues, um, which a lot of people do. Um, I also, if you haven't gathered, I also tend toward the um, open border side, but I recognize that we're not going to get there tomorrow.
1: Well, thank you guys so much. I have a fridge that is exploding with water right now. So I have my feet covered in water and I am risking electrocution just to finish this out with you guys. Go ahead and tell people where they can follow you. I cannot believe this just happened. Angela, go ahead.
3: Okay. So you can find me at angela.mccardle.com. There's a list of all of the conventions I'll be at. If you'd like to help support my efforts, uh, you can visit patreon.com forward slash You'll find uh, notes about all my speeches and and appearances and other good stuff there. And that enables me to do travel and do this full time. Thank you.
4: Tony. Um, You can uh, follow me on Twitter at Tony4LP. That's Tony F-O-R-L-P. That spelling will become very clear why I had to say it in a minute. You can come to my website at Tony4Chair.com. That's Tony, the number four (laughs) chair.com. Yeah. Domain name registration is fun. Um, you can also go to TonyDorazio.com, and that will bring you to the same place. Um, there, you can find out a little bit more about me, um, see all my socials there, figure out how to contact me, and maybe throw a buck or two my way so I can come see you in your state.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you guys so much for your time. Uh, I think that we we dove into a lot of uh, harder questions that I think you probably won't be asked about. So this will be uh, <laughs> this will be one of the harder. Harder Q and As you probably have to do, but I really appreciate your your honesty, your forthrightness. I think it's really important that we have uh, people that are going to, you know, carry this party into the future that are willing to deal with the tough topics. And you both passed that test with flying colors. So, uh, thank you guys so much for coming on.
3: Thank you. Good luck with your fridge.
1: <laughs> appreciate it. Thank you, audience, for tuning in. big shout out to everybody that's been with me since jump street appreciate y'all
0: Welcome to Liberty Lockdown Please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone But yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from And where did it go It requires a fight Not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king Get him off the fucking throne If you riding with the thought You've always got a home The virus is scared of will come and it'll go The government knows Just don't get treated like a hoe Like Nico and Shane You're probably wondering What's happening. Scared Hollywood Lefties lyrical in A type with Luke Might bring them nooses We all bite the bullet I'm the king of the gooses Freckles and Brit Didn't know I could spit Knew I was a patriot But now I'm the shit